following is a presentation from your friends at Forcecast.net. It's the Forcecast. Home to the official podcast of the Force.net. I feel the Force. And Rebelscum.com. You Rebel Scum. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome to the Forcecast, your weekly dose of Star Wars news and much more. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. All systems have been alerted to your presence, sir. Check it out, Corporal. Roger, Roger. Now it's time for the weekly Forcecast. We would be honored if you would join us. I think you parents out there will relate to this i had a one of those first firsts jim yeah what happened my four-year-old just schooled me at strawberry shortcake memory what what is strawberry shortcake memory well you know the memory game right did you play memory as a kid Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah well it's it's that but it's with strawberry shortcake characters and uh she literally kicked my ass that's right and i was trying that's the sad i was trying my four-year-old beat me at memory. I don't know what that means, but I don't think it can be <laughs> a good what thing. That means. Yeah, she's already I trying to take know. over. And that's what well, our that's kids the, do, that's right? The first thing to go. That's the first thing to go. Is it, well, actually, that's the second thing to go. <laughs> Maybe it's the third thing to go. Speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of things that go all at once, and then when the memory goes, you don't even remember what you had. I know. But maybe I was distracted because I knew that we had... A big show this week. Great show this week. It's um, Every show is great. But now that the sequels are confirmed and we can speculate and it's not just wishing on a star, it's really happening. It's just uh, it's, it's a pleasure more than ever to sit behind the Forcecast microphone and uh, talk to you guys every week. We got a great show. Uh, by the way, introductions in order for those of you who are new to the program, and we know that we have lots of you joining us each and every week. My name is Jason, and with me, my good friend and yours, from Chicago, Mr. Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. You know, Jason, you, you said something at the beginning of the show here about wishing on a star. And mm. it is about wishing on a star because, let's face it, Disney now owns Lucasfilm. So <laughs> hey, I, couldn't, I couldn't let that slide. Yeah. I couldn't let that slide. Wow. That's that's that is brand synergy. I like it. Um, But no, we got a we got a great show. If you listen to us last week, you know that we had uh, a giveaway for some Mark Echo Star Wars gear. We're going to announce the winners this week. Uh, We're also going to tell you how to win some stand really cool stand up to cancer Star Wars Angry Birds T-shirts. So uh, be listening for that. Plus, of course, more news and rumors about the future of. Star Wars and the sequel trilogy. We also have a brand new Billy D quote to share with you. And more, more of the Star Wars name game coming your way here on the Force Cast. But first, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The 
world is just now getting to know Smuggler's Gambit. And I, I've taken it for granted because I've known about the project for some time, you know, working very closely with Jimmy and knowing Kyle and FJ. Uh, but it's so amazing, amazing to see the comments and hear folks talking about this because, uh, you know, it was only about, oh, I don't know, 5,000 people or whatever that may have, may have seen it at uh, – at Star Wars Celebration, but it's it's now available for the whole world to see. So we thought it'd be great to get the creative team back together here on the Forcecast to break it all down, talk about it, give you some behind-the-scenes um, tidbits about what it would took to put this together, because it was certainly no small task. Uh, joining us, our good friend, our brother in the forest, uh, the director and co-writer of Smuggler's Gambit, Kyle Newman, joining us. It is a pleasure to be here. And you brought with you your co-writer um, on this project. Uh, no stranger to uh, Forcecast listeners. He's been on the roundtable many a time. And a good friend of ours as well, Mr. F.J. DeSanto, joining us. Hello. I'm very excited to be back. And here's a guy you probably don't know, but he did all of the uh, the sound effects and the uh, audio mastering of the project. Uh, this guy, Jimmy Mc- McNerney. Mc- uh, Jim Mac, Jimmy Mac, of course. Uh, hello, hello there, for first cast listeners. I'm a little nervous. This is the first time for me. <laughs> That's pretty good. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't even guess that was you. You're like the man of one and a half voices. I'm, uh, I'm actually Ben from California's cousin. <laughs> My name is Jim. Jim from Illinois. Is that really you, Mac? Yeah, is, that's me. Is it really? No. <laughs> it's my, my new... Wow. I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's Star Wars is moving into uh, a new era, you know, yeah. sequel movies, the, the Disney acquisition. We're going to be starting a new year soon. So I'm going to be working on this new on-air persona. So I want to roll with the changes. And I, I think, um, you know, just by calling myself Jim from Illinois, and just kind of, you know, getting right into the microphone and... <laughs> very I think it's I think it's Jimmy Mac played by BJ Hughes. That's what I think. Oh, this is bombed. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Kyle does the best BJ Hughes as Jar Jar Binks impression. Can you still do it, Kyle? I haven't done it in a while. He's like, oh, this is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not feeling too good. <laughs> It's it's like and close Jar-Jar enough, but a yeah. lot more enthusiasm. He was like, "Wiza!" <laughs> and this BJ Hughes was like, "Oh, oh, I have a tummy ache." He's like, "What?" <laughs> he was like Jar Jar on Downers. BJ yeah. Hughes. Oh my god. Well, we're not here to talk about Jar Jar Binks and BJ Hughes. We're talking original trilogy. We're talking Han Solo. We're talking Chewbacca, Princess Leia, uh, uh, Luke Skywalker, and some new characters. So. I want to start off uh, with with Kyle here because, um, Kyle, I know that the, probably the biggest influence on you for this particular project were the radio dramas. And I just want to go back. When when did you first discover those radio dramas? It was somewhere in the dark days. I think it was back when Star Wars was just was fading. It was probably back maybe around the – when was it? I'm trying to think. I mean, it wasn't until I think mid to late eighties, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I think one of my older brothers had it and we had tape, right? I think we had the tape and then I got it again on CD too. And that's when I really got into it a little more repetitively. That's when 
the momentum was kind of building for the special editions and and the prequels, and that's when I started to really revisit it to look at, you know, what what was in there that we never got to see, what might George be going back to to explore or elaborate on, you know, what were some of these, um, it just was another way to experience more Star Wars and the anticipation for it coming out. You, you know, only so many times you can watch the movie, you don't want to burn that DVD out, you know, so you had to kind of explore in other ways, and that meant rereading the novels, and and one of the staples was also listening to the, you know, the Brian Daly NPR radio dramas. And they stood on their own. I mean, that they were their own special thing. And I think what's, what really resonated with me was it was – I think experiencing those was the first time I realized that Star Wars wasn't just a, um, a series of films. It was a story that was, transcended whatever medium it was in. And I love Star Wars comics, and I love Star Wars books, and I love Star Wars games, and I love Star Wars toys, and I love Star Wars movies, and then I love the Star Wars audio drama. So uh, that that's what made me realize that it could almost work. It's just as long as you get those ingredients right, you know? Man, I remember um, being a kid in the 80s and uh, listening to those NPR dramas as they aired originally on uh, public radio. And they aired really Lucky. early on... Yeah, they aired really early on Sunday mornings, and I woke up and would grab my dad's tape recorder and just hold it up to the speaker and make really crude recordings of them, and I still have some of those cassette tapes up in my attic somewhere, and those things sustained me, but I didn't have every episode. I missed a bunch of them. I maybe had a third of them. Maybe I I recorded three or four of them. As a kid, cassette tapes were hard to come by for me, so I... um, I, uh, I I did what I could, and uh, I actually uh, re- remember I had one of those Star Trek, yeah, Star Trek. Um, commu- uh, what do you call those? It, it looked like a tape deck. Tricorder. Oh my gosh, you had that? I had the yeah. Star Trek oh. Tricorder. It was had- a cassette deck. It was an actual cassette deck, and it came with a cassette. A on one side of the cassette, there was an audio adventure or something, and on the other side, it was blank. And I remember I recorded that very first NPR radio drama. Um, I think it was called A Wind to Shake the Stars or something along those lines. And I recorded that on the other side of that Star Trek tape. And I had that for years and years and years. And then when I finally got older and realized that they were out and available, I found them at a Borders downtown Chicago in the early 90s on CD. And it was well over $100 for the set. And I spent uh, a good portion of my uh, Christmas bonus that year on those things. As soon as I got the bonus, I ran across the street on Michigan Avenue, ran right into Borders and plopped down the cash and bought those. And then I was really finally able to relive all of that. I didn't hear Empire. I missed it completely. And I also missed Return of the Jedi when those were on. But I remember that original Star Wars. I think it came out really around the time of Empire Strikes Back or maybe even around 1981. And uh, oh my god, um, I recall hearing them in the car with my mom. We like be riding around in a Chevy Citation, (laughs) and uh, you know, I'd be yelling at my brother and sister to keep it down so I could hear. I'd be pressing my ear up to the speakers, so that's that's where I really realized that you can take Star Wars and translate it really in a, a, a very great and powerful way just by audio alone. What about you, FJ? Uh, when did you discover those radio dramas? I think, you know, it's funny because I don't remember 
initially knowing about them until I, I think I saw it in Bantha Tracks. I can right. be wrong. Like they had an article about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing like Perry King. Didn't Perry King do Han Solo? Yeah. Yeah. Perry King actually auditioned for the role of Solo back in 74 or 75 whenever they were holding open auditions. Right. And I remember, I remember coming across it that way and sort of going, oh, wait a minute. I got to look for this. I got to, it took a little bit to find it. Um, but what's fascinating is you got to remember that that's the day and age before VHS, right? Was the, you know, that was the, a great way to relive the magic to a degree. Yeah. In uh, the same way that the read along books or with, with the tapes and the yeah. little 45s I and mean, there's a view masters. I mean, there were f- very few ways that you could bring the action home or, or re-experience of the comic books. I think did that for a lot of people, but right. the radio dramas were, were fascinating in that, like Kyle said, they filled in gaps, and knowing that this was official, this was authorized, and it made you wonder where this extra material came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that there was less and less of it as it went through. I mean, the, the, a New Hope r- drama is ridiculously long and just chock full of, of other side of the camera stuff. And um, if you haven't, I know we do have some listeners out there who haven't heard these. You've got to check them out because they are they are so cool. Um, but, Kyle, so that was the idea. The idea was to capture that. But also um, it was never really a consideration for you, I don't think, to write a story that took place in the, you know, the prequel trilogy era. It was there was something about the original trilogy characters in, in that timeline. Well, you know, the cool thing was is FJ and I, we write a lot of Star Wars stories. A lot of fan fiction. We <laughs> sit around and we just spitball. And, um, and we had a lot of we have a lot of great Star Wars ideas. <laughs> you know, I, we love doing it. It's like right. and we're obsessed with it. And no one pays us. We just created it. And we had this great story, which was Han Solo. And we're like, whoa, this could really work. It could could be a comic. It could be something else. But we were sitting on this cool idea, and we thought it was a lot of fun. Do you guys find it easier to write in the original trilogy era? It's We've done both. We've done both. I mean, at least in terms of ideas, I don't think there's much of a. I mean, for us, the language of Star Wars is you know extends over the whole thing. But when you're writing something like this, I think there's an inherent instinct to knowing how the characters would talk and act and react and you behave. You have to know it. And you have to feel it. And it's right. not – what Star Wars was, what made Star Wars special was alchemy. So it's not just sitting down and putting in traditional ingredients. You have to take it to the next level and that's capturing the spirit of something. More than just the mechanics of you need lightsabers, you need spaceships, you need this. It doesn't all add up to Star Wars. I'm sorry. It takes something a little more and we have a problem is that we – spend too much time thinking about it, and we just get that. <laughs> and what we tried to do with this was really capture the fun of Star Wars. And yes, it's set during the OT, but it, it, it could be easy to do something fun with the PT. Right. And what we heard was, you know, I've known Dave Collins for a few years, and fantastic guy, and I heard him on your Christmas special being Han Solo. And I was like, wait a second, he's perfect and we have a Han Solo story. He's hosting the digital stage, and this kind of idea came together. And you know, that's kind of how he got put at the center of it. We're like, well, we know he's available. If we get it on the digital stage, then there he is. I mean, I also was thinking I'd love to have like James Arnold Taylor, and but James was hosting his own stage, and this wasn't really 
going to be something on his stage, you know, on the main stage. Yeah. So kind of though it, 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 looking back bringing, on it, Kyle, I think it could have been. <laughs> I well, do. It could have been, you know what I mean? But the, the main it's, stage was kind of dealing with sure, each, yeah. each kind of focuses a little differently. Right, and right. I, I really wanted James to be a part of it, too. He's one of the essential you know, voices of Clone Wars, the staples. And what we really wanted to do right away was ingratiate a lot of Dave's spectacular cast into this OT world and create cool, you know, like, like Matt Lanter is Luke and here he is, he plays Anakin on the Clone Wars, but he's playing a Skywalker here. And we wanted right. to give Ashley something different to do and D and Matt Wood and, and bring Daniel back as Boba Fett. But now he's older Boba Fett. He's not young Boba Fett. So we just tried to figure out who was going to be at Celebration and, you know, there was an earlier draft because Jamie was going to come and we actually worked it or sing into it oh. and we had some other characters, but it was based on who was going to really be around. But the idea itself worked regardless of the supporting cast. We just knew we, we had Han Solo and we had to figure out the, the audio challenge of bringing Chewbacca to life because you needed a Wookiee on stage. Yeah. to to really make the story work. He's the second lead of this project. And Jimmy, you know, created this soundboard, which he can talk about. But it was really, yeah. how do you bring Chewbacca, make him flow into the mix, same thing with R2-D2, and make him a part of this cast when he's not really there, and also bring in a lot of Clone Wars talents into this original trilogy world and cast them in a way where they don't sound like there are other characters, but it still is like a fun play on. Right, right. FJ, I want to ask you: was it was it easier to write the dialogue, kind of knowing what your cast might be? Were you hearing their voices in your head? Did that help? No, I, 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 to be honest, for me, you know, we had written. It, it's interesting that came later, mm. meaning, you know, as as once we knew. Who was going to be in it? We sort of tailored it accordingly, as Kyle was saying. But initially, um, no. Mm. Meaning we just sort of wanted to get the real Han Chewy dynamic down and the story down. And, you know, even, even though it went through a lot of changes, the story itself, you know, like if I sat here and told you the story from beginning to end, it didn't really change from what Kyle and I had initially conceived. Yeah. Was, so was this a story idea that you had prior to yeah, the, the, this, had, doing this yeah. particular project? As Kyle mentioned, we we have, you know, probably like half a dozen really strong Star Wars ideas. Uh-huh. And I told the people down in down in Orlando we had like thirty. We, <laughs> we have we have like five or six, but really fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah, but like we because there there've been. You know, there, there are things we can't talk about in terms of what was going to happen with one or two of them. Mm-hmm. But we had to flesh these things out over the last year or so. And the Han and Chewie one, we knew from the beginning it was going to be, oh, my God, they go. They're looking for a new rebel base in between New Hope and Empire. And, you know, things go crazy and they leave. And I don't want to spoil it, but uh, we sort of knew that beginning, middle, and end, and then just wrote that down. And then when we got to a certain point when we knew Jimmy was going to be doing the special effects, you know, and all the sound design for it, you know, it was like all of a sudden your palette 
increased. Yeah, right. So we knew we could, you know there was going to be more R two or there was going to be more Chewy, knowing Jimmy would be at the helm. Yeah, you know, we felt confident we could pull it off. It, we we always knew we could pull it off, but we all of a sudden when we had certain elements like the actors and especially Jimmy, it, we knew this thing could become it could be a much more fully realized project and it could be or much more alive and much more dramatic. And we could really broaden the scope of it. It was always Star Wars to us, but all of a sudden it became very, I don't want to say 3D because that's the wrong word, but it almost mm-hmm. became more alive yeah. as those elements came together. Jimmy, I'm really fascinated by this idea that, you know, you are, when I first met you, your, your email address was edit to smoke. You are you you are an amazingly fast and nimble and great editor. And so I had no doubt that you would be able to take whatever raw elements there were and really make a great Star Wars environment for these these characters. But you had to do this live and on the fly. That's a lot different than, you know, what Ben Burt or, you know, any of these guys do where they're sitting in a room for months and months and months creating that atmosphere. You had to do it on the fly talk a little bit about (laughs) that challenge that's a good question jason and uh of course having a a background in radio where i'm used to working on the fly and working live where there are no take twos that sort of prepared me but being on stage with all that great talent would be intimidating for anyone especially a star wars fan such as myself and you know how much i sweat I am, of course, yeah. the sweat eye Jedi. And I was afraid when I got up on that stage, my nerves would take over and I'd just start dripping sweat. But everything felt so comfortable. Kyle creates this atmosphere and culture, everything from the, the pre-show to backstage to during the actual event. You just feel relaxed. And being around everyone, we just sort of clicked almost like a family and knew that we would, this was something we wanted to have a lot of fun with. So once you got the butterflies out of your stomach and you were up on stage and there was a lot for me to look at, I had to follow along with the script and also keep my eye on my music cues and everything. And I wanted to make sure I'd be able to overlap a lot of sounds at once. So that required a lot of very precise uh, 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 firing off of of the, the various elements. But once we got going, my nerves just calmed down and I started having a lot of fun with it, and I felt the energy on the stage, and I felt the energy out in the crowd, and it just seemed like everything just came together so well that it was a really excellent experience. It wasn't anything that the, – the nerves just went away, and I was just up there having fun, and I knew we were creating something cool. And what made it really cool for me, too, was the sound that they were pumping through those PA systems there. It's, I've been working on this through my headphones for a couple months leading up to the event. But to be in there and to have all that wattage in the cottage and be pumping out those sound effects and that classic Star Wars music at such a volume with all this great talent on stage delivering these lines, bringing all these lines to life on stage, it was just, it was magical. That's the only way I can describe the whole thing. It was just plain magical. You know, with characters like a three, or with an R2 and a Chewbacca, a lot of what the performance, at least watching the films, a lot of what's infused in the performance is is how the other actors are playing, you know, are, are feeding the lines and, and playing off of the characters. You had to kind of do this all just 
by spec. You had to read the script, get an idea, but you had no idea really how the actor was going to play the line. So was that was that an additional challenge? Well, knowing the talent that we had, I knew that they would remain honest and loyal to the original characters that they were portraying. I, I knew that they weren't going to go off into the deep end and try to do something different with these characters we know so well, like Han and Luke and Leia. But then there were some new characters there. And that was the biggest surprise to be on stage to suddenly hear D. Bradley Baker bring Sweeper to life and uh, to hear Sam play Ro Carada and Ashley doing Ryder Thorne. These were all brand new characters, and they were all coming to life right in front of us. So we, we knew we had the sounds where we wanted them to. It was really interesting to hear how the actors played off them so well. It was a crapshoot, but I think we know Star Wars so well. We knew where to place all the elements, and we trusted the actors to know what to do with those elements, too. But the main guy, David Collins, just really... It captures the essence of Han Solo. And so it made it real easy to have him doing a back and forth with Chewbacca because I knew David would deliver those lines just like Harrison Ford would. So I was able to hear that. much. Mm. His dialogue, the Han Solo dialogue, is the stuff I heard really clearly in my head as I was going through the script and applying all these different sound elements to different parts of dialogue and different scenes in the script. It was it was. David just being so spot on with Han Solo, that's what made it easy. Kyle, Jimmy said that his nerves, he was, he was, he was put at ease by the environment that you create, the creative environment that you, that you create. What about your nerves? I mean, this is, um, this is a big stage. And as a matter of fact, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, because I, I think it's a testament to the organic reaction that people had to this. I remember you telling me, it was before they were letting people in the door, and you said, hey, uh, you know, text text people, go round up, you know, the folks from TFN and Rebel Scum and, you know, make sure they're here. There seemed like there was almost a little bit of a fear that, you know, maybe people wouldn't turn out for this. But it turned out, not only did they turn out, but it was it was practically standing room only. Did that surprise you and did it make you nervous? Well, we when we got there, checked out the stage on Thursday, met stage manager Mark Went, who works at Lucasfilm. He's fantastic. I knew like technically everything was under control. We'd done months of prep. We did a few read throughs over Skype with Dave Collins and you know FJ and I reading parts with Jimmy just to hear it all play out so Jimmy could kind of get a feel for uh, the pace of everything. And the crux of the, the performance was going to come from the timing of Jimmy and David. So I felt like we had that. But we got down there and I had no idea. I mean, we're on a we're on the celebration schedule opposite, you know, James Arnold Taylor hosting Carrie Fisher on the on the main stage. And, you know, there's like all these things going on. There's a million things carving up people's attention. And there's so many fun things to do. I was like, this might just, you know, go under the radar. Who knows? Because no one knows what it is. You see this thing on there, it just says smuggler's gambit, and it's not really tied into anything else. And it was more done out of fun and love for the radio format for Brian Daly and for Star Wars because anytime I'm working in Star Wars anything I would ever do is a tribute to the magic of George you know that's all you try and do is just to to do something that's fraction as good as what him and all his talented people created but I knew that we assembled a really good group of people people that got Star Wars and Part of making anything good in, in the entertainment industry is just surrounding yourself with better and more talented people that can 
do justice to it more than whatever you have in your head. And, you know, the skills of Jimmy and FJ taking the idea with me and taking it to a better place and, you know, like either of us could probably ever do on our own. That's the the spirit of, of collaboration. And then seeing the excitement in all the actors because we sent out an email. Mary Franklin approved it and we tried to suss out who was going to be at celebrations. We could see like, okay, we're going to write this, but we got to shape it to kind of who's roughly going to be there. And sent out an email to all the actors I wanted. And within an hour, everybody was like, in, I'm in, let's do this. And so I was like, wow, okay, this is, this is going to be good because we just got, you know, our nine people, nine roles or, you know, the nine main people cast. And there was maybe 13, 14 parts in it. And some people played two or three roles and wore different hats, but everything just came together. And you know, something good is going to happen when things come together like that. It wasn't like we were, we were having to force it or, push it too hard in a way that wasn't organic. Mm-hmm. It just felt like there was a nice momentum to it. And so I figured, you know what, regardless, we're here, we're prepared, we're at Star Wars Celebration, we put a hell of a lot of hard work into this thing. So it doesn't matter if 300 people show up or 2,000 people show up. But when I did see the hall filling up, I remember I went up to the upstairs and somebody, a friend of mine who was, I was hanging out with down there, he went into the room, like the waiting room, he's like, those people are in there for for smugglers gambit i was like what he's like yeah there's people said they've been waiting there for a while i was like i don't believe it you know and i, I peeked in i was like oh my god there's people so i was <laughs> i wasn't sure you just never know i mean it's like i said there's so much exciting stuff at a celebration to distract you and even when you put it on your schedule you're like i'm gonna hit this half the time you can't even make it because you bump into somebody you get dragged off to something else. You didn't realize something was there. You're off buying something or it's just you're all over the place. So I was thankful that that many people showed up and I was humbled by the exuberance of the audience and the ultimate reaction. We got a standing ovation and the cast just killed it. And FJ wasn't there. I wish FJ was there. But – um, that was a big mistake on my part. A big mistake. <laughs> yeah, what were you doing? What were you doing that night? I was in L.A. It's a whole story. <laughs> Even your wife was like, why aren't you going? And you're like, no, oh, yeah. I got to polish my tricorder. <laughs> <laughs> oh. If you like Star Wars, you have to be at a celebration. Find yeah. a way plan in advance you know there's one happening in two years you know it's going to be celebration seven getting ready for episode seven plan now start your celebration piggy bank if you've never been you are crazy and i guarantee you that we are going to maybe do another one <laughs> that's, a, that's a great guarantee absolutely yeah, we'll do it absolutely you might do it we'd like to and yeah but you know you never know, but I mean, I'm going to pitch him the idea again and say, hey, let's do another one. Yeah. But one more thing about the story. Um, the original outline we had for this, it, it was something that could have been much longer or could have been more ongoing, you know, about how Han and Chewie have second thoughts about their commitment to this. Han's very brash and he jumps right into it and he commits on an impulse to to the rebels, but he's really, by going back and helping Luke blow up the Death Star – there's no turning back from that, or at least, you know, he doesn't realize that. It takes a little bit of getting used to it. Like, you just changed your whole lifestyle, buddy. You can't go back. You're now associated with a different class of people. You're a criminal beyond what you were 
more than just a petty criminal running, you know, running spice, you are enemy number one. Yeah, he's John, he's John Dillinger. He's public enemy number one. Absolutely. It could have been a much longer thing. But knowing that we had this radio format, we had to kind of – and we we're doing it live. We And we, we wanted it to also – it's it was – a stage show first and foremost. We didn't know if it was ever going to come out in another format. We wanted to introduce it, have fun, entertain people, bring out the cast, do this performance, see how it went and what we got, and then do like a fun Q&A after. And it all had to fit into an hour originally, and we made it an hour and a half because the cast was great, and we knew we'd probably have a lot of fun talking after. So we wrote a script, FJ and I, that was maybe 35, 37 pages. It easily could have been multi-parts or longer but the we just called it down to the essence of this idea that han has second thoughts about their commitment he almost feels out of place and unuseful and his skill set isn't really built for the the bureaucracy and the politics of being a rebel per se mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. doing things their way he does things his own way so it's it's a little bit of a awkward new role for him and he wants to try something else he wants to get out of it and you know, and obviously this is what it's about. It backfires. And it could have been a lot more, but we simplified it into what would be a really dynamic 30, 35 minute stage show. FJ, this isn't the first time that we see uh, Han try to bolt out on his friends, okay? He tries to bolt at the end of A New Hope. He comes back and blows up the Death Star. If we take Smuggler's Gambit, we insert that into the canon, then he leaves. And then at the top of Empire, he's threatening to leave again. What's his deal? Why can't he accept his 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 place in life? Why is he struggling? I think it's insecurity. I think it's I think it, he knows he's doing the right thing, and for the first time, people are relying on him beyond Chewie. I mean, I like to think of it. It's almost like growing pains of being in the family dynamic for him, which is mm. confusing. You know, one of the things we were trying to do with this, which Again, like Kyle said, if we had more time, we would have played this up more. But there was something fascinating about the idea of them going back out into the world that they knew beforehand. And it's really can't go home again because they go out there and, you know, they got a price on their head from Jabba, right? So they're already wanted that way. And then when they start dealing with the underworld again, and you see we sort of sneak that in there, mm. it's, wait a minute, you guys are working with the rebels now. No one will touch you. Right. You know, no one, no one's going to go near you. I'd like to think our story is a nice little bridge between those two movies where they have the realization of really accepting their destiny with this. Han in particular. I think Chewie, you know, we even have a little bit where Chewie's sort of reluctant, you know, to go on this journey in in our story because i think he knows before long before han does that the, that they're you know the path they're on is the right path that they have a calling that they they you know this is what we should be doing we should be helping these people they're our friends they're doing the right thing they're trying to make the galaxy a better place so i, I, th- I think we we capture a nice little moment in that history where han in particular his his journey through this whole thing as a character is very much the Han we know, which is, as Kyle said, he's doing his own thing, you know, screw the world, etc. And then when he gets a little grief, it's, you know, we're out of here. We're gone. Yeah. And it's kind of the easy way out, isn't it, in a way? 
He and it's that moment where they do pick the easy way out, yeah. and only to find that the world that they left behind is not what it is anymore. That carefree life of a smuggler. No, guess what, dude? You helped blow up the Death Star. You <laughs> pissed off Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, you know you. You know it's funny in a way. Someone made a Dillinger reference. They're the Han and Chewie. When you really think about it, at this point, are the most wanted men in the galaxy. Right. How can you? You can't. They have a very recognizable ship. Right. And they already have a host of enemies. And Han's the type of guy you can't say, "Hey, you've got a soft side." I'll be like, "What are you talking about?" You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to tell a guy like that. that no, he would punch you in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. and so. The the action of getting involved with the the idealism of the rebellion is something feels right about it, but he's in you know the outward denial of it because it means a lot. It says a lot about him that he cares. You know, I, it was always kind of one of those things that uh, I, I always hearken back to what Dave Filoni famously said on the show was, you know, as Star Wars fans, there was there was this whole series of things that we just sort of always knew. No one ever really told us, but we picked up somewhere or we kind of just all accepted as truth. One of those for me is that Han Solo is most likely an orphan. And certainly, I mean, did when you're writing a character clearly the backstory comes into play. Is there any kind of accepted truths that you, Kyle and FJ kind of hold on to about Han Solo as far as his, his background, his history? Well, I think there's like also just words that pop out when you think about people like Han Solo and Chewie and it's what's been um, inherent in all the material and in the EU, those are the things they try to capture about them to bring them in, to life in these other stories and things like loyalty with Chewbacca, you know, it's an undying loyalty. So as much as he can voice his opinion, he's still going to be there for his friend, but life like debt. Haven't that. we heard life debt at one point? Well, yeah, life debt for sure. But beyond the life debt, life debt is like a technical term mm-hmm. in a way. I think he also believes it like Jar Jar had a life debt. I don't think Jar Jar emotionally believed in the concept of life debt. <laughs> right. It was a Chewbacca technical thing. Right. is somebody that brings honor into his life. And there, there actually is an emotional fulfillment from being part of that symbiotic life debt. And that's what makes him different than another character. Um, so he prides himself and there's, there's pride in him uh, about loyalty. And that's really the crux of how we know him in context of these characters. So you build from those basic points. Han Solo, you know, through, this, through the entire original trilogy, he's very headstrong, he's very brash, and he does things his own way, you know? And you, there's really no talking to him. He's kind of got to go do something himself. Even in Return of the Jedi, no, don't. He does it anyway. You know what I mean? He's <laughs> yeah. got to do it his own way, his own style. He's got to fail his own way, sometimes brilliantly. And, um, <laughs> but he wouldn't have it any other yeah. way. That's just his swagger. Right. That's kind of what you look at those core things and then, and then build on that and try to make it sound as much like the way Harrison Ford would speak, what type of colloquialism he would use, what type of references. And, and then, you know, Dave Collins added a whole other layer to it and improv some extra stuff. And we incorporated some of his improv into the script and it kind of evolved organically like that. Jimmy, um, 
you know, you can admire a lot of things or you can be a fan of a lot of things. You can be into cars. You can be into motorcycles. But until you get in under the hood, you don't really understand it. And I can imagine that this being the closest thing that you've ever done to, you know, outside of your radio work, but really professionally working with Star Wars, helping to create the story, create the characters in this case. What, what, what did you learn about what it takes to create Star Wars? Because as Kyle says, it's not just like any other story. Well, it's the characters that drive it, first and foremost. It's especially when you're talking about original trilogy. So everything around those characters is it, it is something that they sort of bring into their own. Um, when you when you have Chewbacca growl, and then all of a sudden you hear a table crash and glass shatter, and you hear the Wilhelm scream, you conjure those images up into your head. You don't need someone telling you, Chewbacca grabs Sweeper and throws him into a table. You don't need <laughs> that because you know exactly what's happening. You already understand the character of Chewbacca. You understand that he's a big, brutish guy who can throw people into tables. So that's what makes it easy is, is the characters are what carry everything. It's easy to build around them because you know who they are and the characters know who they are. So to have a, a, just a growl and a table smash, you know that that's Chewbacca smashing someone into a table. When you hear Han and Chewie trying to escape, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose and the uh, alarm klaxons are blaring and there's blaster fire everywhere. You hear Han and Chewie, but you don't hear them running, yet you know they're on the run. Because you know those characters, you picture them in your heads, and you know how they would react to certain situations. And the situations sometimes are created by the script, the situations are sometimes created by the dialogue, and the situations are sometimes created by the sound effects. And when all three of those things come together, then you have the audio working and humming on all cylinders, and you picture it all in your head because you know the characters so well. That's what makes it so fun to work on. Because the characters are so great. And, of course, the classic sound design by Ben Burtt. I can't say enough about how much I appreciate all the work that went into this particular project, Star Wars, when it comes to sound design. When I talked to Ben, the last time I talked to him, I said, there was a lot of love that went into your audio design. And his eyes kind of lit up like, wow. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. I love it. And that's why he's never satisfied unless it's just right and it fits the Star Wars vibe. So to be able to use the sound effects and have those familiar characters at your disposal to play with, it was, to me, it was just exactly how I'd always imagined it to be. It was a lot of fun to work on. Um, I, you know, I asked George Lucas himself right to his face. I say, what keeps you coming back to Star Wars all the time? And he just looked at me and went, because it's fun. Like, <laughs> what a stupid question. It's fun. That's the main thing about Star Wars is that it's fun. And Star Wars at Works is fun. Han Solo, Chewbacca, their interaction, it's, it's a lot of fun. The one final thing, too, that's missing, you listed, you know, the characters, the music, the sound. But what makes it different than cinema is the the audience member, the listener, has to be an active participant. Because with cinema, it's all there. You have the sound, you have the picture, 
there really isn't anything left. I mean, subtlety is it's all right there, especially in Star Wars. It's tangible. But here's a quote from John Madden, who directed the original Star Wars radio dramas. He said, anyone who's ever listened to a radio drama will testify to the fact that a play you hear will remain in your mind. Twelve years later, you'll remember it vividly. And the reason you'll remember it vividly is because you've done the work. It lives in your imagination. Like you said, you know, you fill in these gaps and you know beyond just this sound leads to this sound. But you're actually creating the picture. No one else is doing that for you. And I think, you know, the good thing to do if you go listen to us is close your eyes, like turn off the lights in a room and just picture it. And that's what's fun. And, you know, that's for us, it was more fun than anything. We just wanted to create something that was that we as fans would like to go see at Celebration. And that's really what it was. It was like a fun exercise or something. We wanted to get out of our system. We love this format. But it's it, it's a little bit extra for, you know, for the diehard fan, you know, to to get this thing. And it's free, by the way. You don't have to pay for it. Hmm. So download it to your iPod. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Listen to it in the dark. And, and you realize how much your mind fills in the gaps. Yeah, listen to it loud. I mixed it down to be played back at a loud volume. So don't be shy with that volume now. Turn it up to 11. Put on your headphones. Crank it up. It's because it just surrounds you and takes you into that environment. And like you said, Kyle, when you have that personal connection with the sounds where you're filling in the blanks and making those mental images in your mind, the theater of the mind takes over. You really never forget that. I remember when I was eight years old and I was listening to those NPR radio dramas and especially the first one that featured Luke and his friend Wendy and they were flying the skyhopper around. I still, yeah. to this day, when I hear that audio drama, I'm picturing the same mental image I did way back when, when I was 10 years old or however old. So that's, that's very true. You become, you become the filmmaker in a way. Yeah, like we don't know. tell you what Han Solo's wearing. We don't tell you what the inside of the Falcon looks like. We don't tell you what the bar looks like. You just hear some of the sounds and you create your own version of the bar they're in. You create your own version of the planet Renvar when you hear the, the, the wind wisping past and you hear a spaceship landing. We don't describe what the spaceship even looks like that's coming down. You just know that a spaceship's coming down. It touches down. You hear a kick up dust. The ramp lowers. Footsteps come down. You're picturing it. We don't even describe what the lighting looks like. You're going to light it better than we could ever light it. You know, because it's your mind. So that's what's really fun about radio. And what's cool is that we have Paul Bateman, who is creating artwork, original artwork, to accompany this audio drama. The first of which you can see at StarWars.com slash Smuggler's Gambit. You can see his movie poster. And that's where you'll be able to see what Ro Carrada looks like, what Ryder Thorne looks like, um, what the uh, Idiot's Array looks like, their ship. And um, well, There is a write-up coming. Yeah, I was just going to ask, Kyle, what, what can we tell people about what the future for Smuggler's Gambit is? Well, there's, a, there's something coming in Star Wars Insider. I think we're allowed to talk about it. Coming soon. It's just a little bit about you know, the Smuggler's Gambit ha- coming together. And, and it's also going to have additional art by Paul. You know, Actually, FJ and I had also adapted it into a two-part short story thing uh, with more art. But I don't know where or when that'll ever happen, you know, but it's just something we, we have it. But I think our, our, our big goal would be 
to do another one of these, you know, uh, next celebration, you know, get, get the band back here. The cast had a blast. We had a blast. And I think it'd be fun to see who's down there and do probably do another Han Solo story. We've already got something, Mm -hmm. um, that would be the right kind of length for it. And what else I want to ask, uh, Forcecast listeners, faithful Forcecast listeners, we know how you're some of the most talented Star Wars fans in the galaxy. Take a look at some of Paul's artwork as it gets released, or just right now go to uh, StarWars.com and check out that poster for Smuggler's Gambit. And if you fancy yourself skilled in the custom action figure department, feel free to... Feel free to create some Star Wars action figures based on Smuggler's Gambit. Send us photos of them or, gosh darn or it, make send us the figures. versions of them. Yeah, right. And, and Put we'll them on vintage the cards. <laughs> Kyle Put only on accepts the- vintage cards, by the way. Vintage. I do. Or heck, or heck, Hasbro, you know, you might be looking for something different. You know, Smuggler's I Gambit, why not? A real one and a fake one. And a fake one doesn't come on. Come <laughs> you know, they don't have vintage. You know what I mean? That's a fake one. Right. Real Star Wars toys <laughs> come on vintage. Well, this has been. I'm not uh, even kidding. I'm crazy. Uh, I have a problem. <laughs> I cannot accept anything. This is this is the second time, by the way, in the course of this interview, that Kyle has admitted that he has a problem. He wrapped J, uh, uh, FJ in the first one. Um, no, I have a serious, serious, serious Star Wars problem. <laughs> Yes, and they say do. if you do anything for 10,000 hours or more, you're, you're an expert. <laughs> or, <laughs> so that was or, an, an expert. or an addict. Uh, yeah, I'm an Crystal. addict and expert doctorate <laughs> in Star Wars. Well, you're in good company, sir. Yes, no and doubt. I think we yeah. all have that same I, disease. The same disease, yes. Uh, buried in your basement because podcasting about Star Wars for the last seven years. Well on your way. <laughs> You're right. Uh, no, this has been a blast talking to you guys about this. Uh, I'm sure it won't be the last that we hear about it. And uh, if you, you know, if those of you listening out there, please spread the word. You've been doing a great job of supporting it, uh, but continue to do so. Let folks know. And the holiday season is a great time to. You know, like I said last week, you know, curl up by the fire, by the around the Yule log, pour yourself some uh, hot chocolate, and uh, listen to an old time radio drama done yes. Star Wars style. It's just it's the perfect time to do that. Spread the word about it because there's no other way people hear about it and experience it. So if you enjoy it, tell a friend, share it with somebody. I remember one year for. A Christmas party, all my relatives were there. I played the South Park movie. That was not a good idea. <laughs> I suggest Smuggler's Gambit instead. Smuggler's Gambit. It's perfect uh, Christmas time or holiday time uh, entertainment. Perfect. Well, guys, um, thank you so much for taking the time. Kyle, I know you got a jet. And uh, FJ, thank you as always. It's great to talk to you. I'm sure we'll be chatting on a, on a roundtable here in the near future. So uh, thank you so much. We're also uh, going to play some highlights of the uh of the panel that took place immediately following the performance at celebration six we're going to have that uh i believe in its entirety right here coming up in just a moment yeah Yeah, absolutely so uh stand by for that guys again great to have you on the program thanks thank you guys thanks for supporting it oh one last thing on your last week's show you guys were talking about snow crash and nick gallard yes well, the director of Snow Crash is Joe Cornish, and Joe Cornish also worked with Kathleen Kennedy on Tintin. Yeah. So beyond the Nick Gillard connection, he's a very talented uh, up-and-coming director who fits the mold of having worked with mm. Kathleen Kennedy. 
Well, if you had to put money on it right now, Kyle, who's the, where's I the just, smart I money? I just don't know. You don't but know. If I had to put money on it, I mean, they're probably meeting with a lot of people because yeah. I'm sure a lot of people came out of the well, woodwork. It was like, whoa, 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 I want this job. Do you think that the decision's made or do you think they're still going through the process? What would be I your guess? I think it's made. FJ I says the decision's done. I, I, you know, I said that, you know, when Kyle and I were sort of talking about the new movie and we started hearing the date for 2015, and this is before it was all public. I said, at least I thought, I said, they have to have a writer. There's no way you're making a movie in 2015 and you don't have part of the team. Yeah. And I think that, by the way, I think those Lucas and Kennedy videos are going to lead to an announcement of some kind. The next one's December 31st. I yeah, think they I said part five. And it felt like the Michael Arndt announcement came because people heard about it online. It was kind of forced their hand. And, you know, respectfully, they want to announce this at their own pace and, and do it their own way. And, of course, there's so much interest and and scrutiny in – you know, in Star Wars right now, especially in, in post announcement. So everyone wants to get the scoop and everyone wants to be first, but they also want to do it at their own pace. And, you know, I kind of, you respect that, you know? So, I mean, I don't know who's in the mix and, but I'm sure they probably do have a top choice or they figured it out, but you know, they might not announce it till the fifth video or, or till early next year or unless somebody gets, unless somebody talks that shouldn't, Right. You know, yeah. like, the thing I now know. is I think they're doing their research, which is the most important thing. And they're really going to figure out more than just who's hot right now. They're going to figure out who's right for this for the next few years. And that's the most important thing. And they're the people in charge. So I'm going to trust their decision and, you know, feel comfortable in the fact that when they do come forward with it, they've been thinking about this for a long time and they're going to pick someone that is proper and they may not, we may not realize it and we may not get it at first until you see the movie. But I don't think anybody, even back in the pre-internet days when it was announced that Irvin Kirshner was going to direct the sequel to the most who amic blockbuster of all time. Do you think if there was an internet back then people would have been like, what? Oh, they would have <laughs> Lucas has lost his mind. He's the guy that's done what? Right. They that's so mental. And when you hear these people being put forward, and the names are the, to eighty percent of the names I hear, I'm just like, no. Or you hear about what the plot is, and you're like, oh, it's funny you're saying that, but obviously you probably don't know much about Star Wars, so no, it's not that either. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. it's to see the speculation because it's so off. And not only is it off, it's on the level of Kurt Russell is Boba Fett and Grando is Lando's grandpa. <laughs> it's on that level of... Charlton Heston is Yoda? doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, guys... Just faith in the powers that be. Have faith. Have faith. Preach it. Preach it, Brother Newman. Indeed. All right. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it very much. And uh, as, we, as we say goodbye, listen to Celebration 6 panel for Smuggler's Gambit. Get up here, Kyle. These guys deserve another round of applause. You guys blew me away. Thank you.
and an extra special Han Solo nonstop over there, Dave Collins. Wow. And could not have pulled this off without the expertise of Jimmy Mack back there. Silent but deadly. And you guys are awesome. Is everyone having fun at Celebration? Is everybody going to go on Facebook and talk about how awesome Celebration is? Is everybody excited that they got to see George Lucas? And when he was here, we did hear his beard. On his mic, you could hear him. So this is amazing. I'm so glad that you guys all, all were a part of this. Um, does anybody have any questions? Is there any questions? Not you, Chewy. <laughs> Kidster was not in this production. Um, I'm just wondering, Dave, have you played Han Solo in any other like video games or any other places where the voice has been needed? Or No, but, uh, well, no. So <laughs> let's just say this is Dave Collins' official casting tape. So if anybody out there works in Star Wars products. All right, thank you. I had some big faith in him. He's, he's like, I don't know if I can do it. I only did like one five-minute scene, and, I, and he like wrote it, post-produced it, did it all Well, look at who studio. you assembled here. You have the most talented cast ever. And you guys thrived off each other. That was so cool. Uh, first, thank you for doing this as a huge fan of the radio dramas. I was looking forward to this more than anything else here. So it's really, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, we just wanted to do something fun. And these guys were such good sports that they're all really busy and they're doing signings, doing panels and promoting it. And this just came up out of nowhere as like a little bonus. So the fact that they took time out of their schedule to come just have fun on Saturday evening, you know, and do this for you guys was, was, was pretty spectacular. So thank you. But definitely check out the Brian Daly stuff if you've never listened to it. So my one real quick question, I know I've got my hopes up, but is there any chance at all of more radio dramas being produced in the future? Here's what my goal is. This is my secret Trojan horse plan. <laughs> we did this because I would love, and I bet you guys would love to see the Star Wars prequels with these guys yes. bringing it alive, expanding the story of the prequels. Because the Brian Daly stuff, some of those were four, four and a half hours long, and you're getting deleted scenes oh, and yeah. extra scenes that fill out backstory and character. And that'd be such cool synergy to see these guys. So someone should do it. Please. And, I mean, it'd be fantastic to use the Clone Wars actors in the, in the prequel trilogy and do it, you know? I think, it, I think it's cool. Who else thinks that's cool? Thank you. I, I, I got to... I, I got to say, it's, it's really cool that all of you showed up for this, because those of us who are as old as I am, at least, you remember back in the day when it's like they invented sound design in the making of this movie, which was really a big thing. And then they went in uh, on to produce the radio dramas on NPR, which were, they were magnificent and, and, and a fantastic way to, to feel immersed in this thing that is Star Wars. And so it's really great and gratifying to see everybody show up to see and hear another run at that. I think that's, that's remarkable. So thank you. Um, first, I'd like to second the uh, gentleman in saying that this was the panel I 
planned my Celebration 6 experience around. So, you guys. Thank you. I think I speak for everyone here. You guys rocked it. Every single one of you absolutely blew it out of the water. So thank you very much. Two questions. What happened to Ryder Thorne afterwards? Yes, Ashley. What happened to Ryder Thorne? Why do I keep voicing female characters where we don't know their outcome? In my version of what should happen to Ryder Thorne, she would probably survive. <laughs> I like that outcome. <laughs> and there'd be a movie with her in it where she has to confront Darth Vader. <laughs> what? No, no, oh, oh, Ryder Thorne. Okay, oh, sorry, Ryder Thorne. <laughs> She'd be around, she joins the rebellion, and she, this was like a moral test for her. Now she's part of the Rebel Alliance, and she wears a, an X-Wing helmet and goes into battle. Woo! Part two? Yeah. Okay. And why didn't Fett use his jetpack missile on the Millennium Falcon as it was getting away? <laughs> no, the, see, here's what happened. Fett... He had his blaster. He didn't have the backpack because he just came from space travel. So he was sitting in a chair. And when you space travel, you have to wear your seatbelt. And he couldn't... No, seriously, seriously. Maybe you'll remember it next time. Anything you give me, kid, I'll figure out an answer. (laughs) But thank you for your questions. I just want to preface this and say I'm a huge fan of you, Sam, uh, of all the work you've done, whether it's being human, Force Unleashed, huge fan. But I have... But this question is directed to Matt. Um, How much... (laughs) Don't worry, Sam. I'll ask you a question tomorrow at your panel. Yeah, what's up? Um, how much of your Anakin Skywalker performance did you put into Luke being this uh, really kind of impromptu performance? Yeah, you know, um, it was impromptu, so I kind of thought about that. And I was like, well, Luke's a lot higher and, and brighter after episode four, so I tried to be that. I don't know how it sounded out that way, but I don't know. It was great. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, here's something else. These actors got the script at like 5.30. I gave them a highlighted script. And they came up here and did this virtually impromptu and brought the characters to life. And, you know, everybody was doing something a little unexpected. And it, and it, it, was, and it was really, really hard to do. <laughs> but we did our best because we all love Star Wars. And it was hard. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Thanks. (laughs) 
so you did mention this was completely impromptu for these voice actors. How long were you thinking about this before it actually came on paper? And what, what was the process? Uh, was it just a spark? Was it, oh, wow, I'm going to make a radio drama because that, that seems really cool. I always wanted to do that. Or was it more a slow process and just... Yeah. No, I, like I said, I, I'm a big fan of, of the radio dramas, and, and Jimmy and I w- would talk about it. I even mentioned it to, to Matt Wood. I was like, we should do prequel radio dramas somehow. So we've talked about it for a while, and it's always something, I, the format I love. And Quadraneros expanded. <laughs> he would, actually looking. The benefit of, of prequel radio dramas would be that there is a larger canvas for, for Ben. We have tons, tons of outtakes, actually, at Skywalker <laughs> Ranch at the Ben Quadraneros pod race, and it goes deep into the Quadraneros family. It's, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk. Yes. So, so that was, you know, a definite inspiration. I thought it'd be fun to do something in that format. You know, I went to, to film school, and one of the things we had to learn was just doing, you know, just putting audio things together. So you'd have to focus just on sound. So I had a little experience in that, but I'd never really written anything specifically for this format. But I do sadly have like 20 or 30 Star Wars stories like this that I've <laughs> mapped out. So this one made sense when I heard Dave's voice. And we, I knew we had the, the talents of, of Jimmy Mack. And I thought we could do something, you know, about 30 minutes, something live and fun at, you know, celebration. And I think the writing process was, you know, I worked with F.J. DeSanto, who's a, you know, a friend of mine and a big Star Wars fan. And sadly, he's not here tonight with us, but he's back in Los Angeles and letting me do all the work. Um, he and I just wrote it really fluidly. We sat down, we bounced it back, we used Google Docs, and we wrote it remotely because he lives in New York, and we'd watch each other live, you know, deleting each other's stuff and, and adding it. And, um, you know, ultimately I superseded him on the final draft. <laughs> no. Um, no, but it was, it was a really fun back and forth writing it, and it, like I said, it just came very organically and fluid. And once I knew I had these guys, I just kind of tailored it a little bit to their to their talents and... And you know, tried to milk it for what we could with a with a live stage show. Well, I do have to say that I think everybody agrees this was absolutely fantastic, Thank one of a you. kind. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dave. Do we have more? We have a little more time. Yeah. Okay. So, thank you. Everybody did a phenomenal job, but Mr. Collins, you stood out in particular. And my question is. With everything that is happening with animation right now in the Clone Wars, it is insane to me that there is no Han and Chewie adventures. And if that were to happen, would you be open to voicing Han? Absolutely not. I mean, look, that, I mean, why would I ever, as a huge Star Wars fan, no. I mean, of course. I mean, I love Han and Chewie, and no, absolutely. I'm just thrilled to be here, and and I I love Celebration, and I love you guys so much, and, and so happy to be a part of it. Uh, even uh, years after leaving Lucasfilm and LucasArts, but um, of course, absolutely, hey, I would. You uh, never leave Lucasfilm. Oh, I love you never that. Leave. I love that. Thank you, guys. So yes, sure. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to echo the sentiments that this was amazing. This has been the highlight of celebration for me. So, uh, this is my hobby, and you guys do an amazing, amazing, spectacular job. And I just got to ask the elephant in the room. Celebration 7? Next time around? If maybe? there is one and these guys are down, I'll work up something else. I'm in. We're good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you again.
next radio drama, can he have more girls for more people to so we can look after? I love you. What's your name? <laughs> Alessandra Robinson. Alessandra Robinson. Alessandra Robinson, if we do one at Celebration 7 and you're here, you will have a line in it. Okay. Thank you. Is that, is that a good answer? Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Cool. Thank We're gonna you. We're going to save a seat right there for you. Okay. All right, cool. Deal. <laughs> Thanks. I just wanted to say that this was one of the best conventions ever. My main question is for Sam. Is there going to be a Being Human Part 3? Season 3. Oh, I thought you meant like another remake, like no, you know, no, no, being, no. being Cuban, the Cuban no. version. Being Human. Or Being Human. Beijing Human. No. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're already more than halfway through uh, shooting the third season. I've actually seen five episodes. And uh, it's cool. It's, I'm, I'm very excited. We have, we have a tremendous guest cast this year. And, and uh, I, you know, it, the, and I'm just going to leave you with this. So far, we've said nothing in the press, and it's because there's nothing we can say, even about the first episode, because there are some real game changers that happen in that first episode. So, have fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Can I hear Yoda's voice? <laughs> what would you like Yoda to say? Anything? May the force be with you. Uh, the force will be with you always. Yes. Thank you. I just have a quick comment and a two-part question. First, as well as more females, can we next one have... More creature effects for D. Bradley Baker because he's amazing. Also, I was wondering if this could be considered canon, and if not, could it at least could we at least release like the transcript and get it on Wikipedia so it can at least be fan canon? It could be fan canon. Nice. Hopefully, it becomes canon one day. If Stu John is canon. <laughs> no. No, this is fun. This is just this was just a live thing right now, so it's it's not canon. It's 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 Kyle speculation. <laughs> and finally, uh, for the writer's perspective, would you say that little stunt Han did would be the start of the Millennium Falcon's hyperdrive problems? <laughs> Your play. Good point. Yes, of course. That's how we planned it, right, Jimmy? This was the first convention I've been to, and I grew up with Star Wars. I got all my autographs except from one actor, and this is kind of the question I wanted to ask. Can I get an autograph from Sam? Ooh. 
No. Fine, you wore me down. Thank you. I love you forever. Okay, two more questions. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, what happened to Gisor? Um, I know that the bounty hunter, Sam's character, went after Solo and Chewie, but what happened to Shisor? Did he escape on a flying white buffalo or something? <laughs> no, Shisor's ship was still there. I think the Imperials came. They obviously realized they were misled as to what was going on, and Shisor obviously has a lot of Imperial connections, and he just spoke his way out of it, right? Yeah. Uh, Shisor actually hooked up with Heshore, and... <laughs> And now they have a little baby and they're a, a three-shore. Did, the three the, did they go to the seashore? They sell seashells by the Shizor. And uh, I was really trying to bait Dee Bradley to do an appa. Oh, you want to hear an uh, appa from, from, from uh, the airbender? <laughs> that was some momo. Thanks. And, and one last request. One last request. I was a little disheartened that he wasn't on the autograph panel this year. So uh, I kind of knew his birthday was coming up. So I got you a birthday card. Can I bring it to you now? Yes, you may. <laughs> it's next week. Yeah. I'm turning 50 next week, actually. You know what? 50! Everybody, we are going to sing... Happy birthday oh. to D. Bradley oh. Baker. Oh. But to do a proper birthday, everybody's got to get on their feet. <laughs> and everybody's got to oh, pretend they've had Jesus. too much butterbeer <laughs> and sing it like sailors just for D. Here we go. <laughs> Happy, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Knock it off, Joey. Happy birthday. Bradley Baker. Oh. Happy birthday to you. Oh, that is so sweet. Thank you. This is a picture of me as a Jawa in 1977 with a costume that my parents made. So it, it means a lot to me personally to, to have you all sing that to me uh, and to be here as a part of this. So thank you very much. So we, we have one, one last question over here. So my question is, is um, after we get the Kitster on Vintage Card, are we starting the Where's Rider? Well, we, have, we do have a new campaign. campaign. Claire, Claire's got a character. You want to tell us about? Yeah, if you guys want to help me get a figure for Latsrazi made, that's awesome. It's her bounty hunter on the Clone Wars. <laughs> yes. And I wanted to say one more thing to Jimmy. May the first be with you. <laughs> so, again, thank you guys all so much for coming out. I know you had 
other places you could have been and the fact that this room was full for something you had no idea what it was going to be that's that's just awesome so thank you and i'm i'm grateful to these people these these guys sometimes people say voice actors these guys are actors and i think you guys are so fortunate that in star wars you have such a fine set of actors that bring star wars to you every week so it's a special time. Realize that treasure. If you're not watching the Clone Wars, you should because this is on display every week. So thank you guys. And once again, Smuggler's Gambit available on the official Star Wars blog at blog.starwars.com. Go there right now. Listen, download, tell your friends, check it out. You're going to love it. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Smuggler's Gambit, a new Star Wars audio adventure. Written and directed by Kyle Newman. Co-written by F.J. DeSanto. And produced by the Force Cast's Jimmy Mack. Recorded live at Star Wars Celebration 6 in Orlando. Put the choice! Smuggler's Gambit stars David Collins as Han Solo and features the talented cast of The Clone Wars, including Ashley Eckstein, Sam Witwer, Dee Bradley Baker, Tom Kane, Matthew Wood, Matt Lanter, Claire Grant, and Daniel Logan as Boba Fett. Hey, who's shooting at us? Leaving so soon, Solo? Shields, Chewie! I said shields, Chewie! Hear Smuggler's Gambit, a Han Solo adventure for free. And watch the behind-the-scenes video at StarWars.com slash Smuggler's Gambit. I should have left after the Death Star, huh, Furface? That's StarWars.com slash Smuggler's Gambit. All right, our Mark Echo giveaway winners. Ready to announce them? Yes, yes, we are. Last week, we started uh, this contest where four winners get their choice of Star Wars apparel at ShopEcho.com. To have been eligible, you needed to post the following to Twitter. I entered to win. Hashtag Star Wars gear from at Echo United and at ForceCast. Hashtag Echo Star Wars. Thank God people don't talk that way in the real world. <laughs> Thank God. But I'll tell you what. I don't know about your phone, but my phone... Never stopped buzzing with these because I get a buzz on my phone every time somebody uh, tweets at Forcecast, and it was yes. just going crazy. The yes. response, guys, is amazing. Thank you all so much. And I know it's it has a lot to do with uh, the great gear that you can win, but uh, we also appreciate it uh, because we want Echo to know that uh, sponsoring the Forcecast is a good investment. And listening to the Force Cast is a good investment because you have a chance to win cool things like Mark Echo Star Wars gear. So we have our four winners. Here they are. Number one, winner number one, Jeff from Pittsburgh, whose Twitter name is at What's That Song. So, Jeff, congratulations. Contact us, uh, Forcecast at Forcecast.net. Send us your mailing address. We will uh, make sure the people at ShopEcho.com get a hold of you and you can pick out some great Star Wars gear. Winner number two, Thomas Berry from Fort Worth, Texas. Thomas Berry, Twitter name, at Captain Blu-ray. That's right. Captain Blu-ray is here. And like he's that. winning Star Wars Mark Echo gear. Winner number three, Trisha Jane's Twitter name, at South Devil. I, I think, think it's So the Devil. So the Devil. Oh, I guess... <laughs> 
I am like so the devil. Uh huh. Okay. Good. Good. I am sure. <laughs> totally. So she's uh, so the devil. Trisha Janes, congratulations. And winner number four is Casey Uri from North Dakota. Twitter name Casey Uri. So. Congratulations to our four winners, Jeff, Thomas, Trisha, and Casey. Be sure to reach out to us, uh, forcecast at forcecast.net, and uh, give us your address, and uh, we will make sure everything happens. Thank you very much, Mark Echo. Uh, great Star Wars gear available all the time, 24 hours, seven days a week at shopecho.com. Check it out. I like that. Star Wars Angry Birds. I got to ask Jim, have you played it yet? I haven't. Dylan just got it, and he's been playing it a lot. Um, I took a peek at it. I don't even know how to play Angry Birds, so I'm going to have to figure that out and (laughs) sit down and play a little Angry Birds. But he sure is having a lot of fun with it. I like that theme. It's got a very oompa-pa sort of vibe, which is good considering that the next Star Wars celebration is going to be happening in Germany. Yeah, I expected Clark Griswold to be dancing around in his lederhosen. But I'll tell you, I have to say that when it comes to to, uh, the Star Wars gateway drug for little kids, at least for my four-year-old, it is Star Wars Angry Birds. It is the... I haven't seen Bailey... More attentive to a Star Wars product before than Angry Birds. She's a big Angry Birds fan, period. And when she saw that Daddy's favorite, as she calls it, that's what she calls Star Wars. Ooh, that's Daddy's favorite. Um, it now has Ed, an Angry Birds game. Uh, she was all over it. So we've been actually having a lot of fun playing that on the iPad. A lot of fun. So I highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's a, it can be a, a great bonding experience for you and your, and your little one. And it's addictive as sin. Gosh, it's addictive. Well, it must be. It's so popular. And yeah. um, we haven't talked much about Star Wars Angry Birds here on the Force Cast because, uh, obviously, there's been some other news in the galaxy far, far away that has captured our attention. But that's great to know that yet there's another gateway for young fans to get into Star Wars. For years and years, I think Lego is the one that has really held that mantle and has really done a great job bringing little kids into Star Wars. But now it sounds like Angry Birds is even going for a demographic younger than the one that that even Lego attracts. It is in my so, house. So let's just get them right out of the womb. That's what we <laughs> got to do and get them listening to the Force cast and playing Star Wars Angry Birds. But Star Wars Angry Birds and uh, Lucasfilm are teaming up to fight cancer, to stand up the cancer as a matter of fact and they have a line of shirts these are exclusive shirts that you can find in the stand up to cancer store at su2cstore.com uh and um you can uh, check them out right there on the website and it's a great way to give back this holiday season you buy them and uh, a portion of all the proceeds do benefit cancer uh research and they have of course the iconic characters from the uh, star wars and and angry birds with the slogan let's smash cancer 
uh, or and, and rebel against cancer and totally over cancer all over the shirts. So great slogans and a great cause. They're available in uh, heather gray or black, and they've got them in all kinds of sizes from uh, small for the little kids all the way up to double uh, XL. What we want to do is we want to give three very lucky Faithful Forecast listeners a chance to win uh, these shirts. Now, we're going to choose them at random, and we'll announce the winners next week right here on the Forcecast. So we're going to have you get your Twitter out again. I mean, it's Angry Birds, so how more appropriate can you be to tweet your entry? And this is what we want you to do. We want you to tweet this. Smash cancer with at standuptocancer.org, pound Star Wars Angry Birds, and at Forcecast. Repeat that again. Smash cancer with at standuptocancer.org, pound Star Wars Angry Birds, and at Forcecast. And you got to have the tweets in by noon central on Tuesday, December 11th. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll post up that on our uh, official Forcecast Facebook page. So we'll be giving away two of those shirts to the, the, the Twitterverse as long as you post that up. But we have one shirt left over. And this is going to just test you to see how quickly you download the Forcecast and listen to it when we release them on Fridays. Because you have to be an early bird to win an Angry Bird t-shirt. What we want you to do is identify who this is. She was in a Stand Up to Cancer video, and she's impersonating everyone's favorite Wookiee. What's up, Chewbacca? What's up, my Wookiee? Still hanging out with this loser? Ah! <laughs> there it is. No, it is oh. not Mala. Ah! It is that not is Mala. Classic. That's from um, a Stand Up to Cancer video that was out earlier this year. Teaming up with Star Wars to raise awareness and smash cancer with StandUpToCancer.org. All you have to do is visit that website and go to their store, and you will find the Star Wars Angry Birds t-shirts for sale in all sizes. But keep it tuned here to the Forcecast. Put those tweets up on Twitter, and next week we'll let you know if you won a t-shirt. And once again, the person who can identify our mystery Wookiee and writes to us, Forcecast at Forcecast.net writes to us the answer to that trivia question, who is making that Wookiee growl? Ah! You will win a Stand Up to Cancer t-shirt, but that's a race. You have to be the first one to get us that email. Yeah, make sure so, that you put that in the subject line. We'll say uh, Wookiee growl in the subject so we can find you. Wookiee growl. Did we get piles of email? So uh, thanks a lot to uh, StandUpToCancer.org for uh, fighting a good fight against cancer and for supporting us here at the Forcecast. Also, I got a shout-out. Here's something else that was in our email inbox. And uh, I just want to talk about this, this uh, little boy who's in Michigan, and his name's Matthew Lightfield. And uh, Matthew's eight years old. And this past Halloween, which is typically a time when little kids are celebrating and having a great time, Matthew got terrible news. Matthew was diagnosed with cancer, and he is now undergoing treatment. So this really, um, you know, of course, all of us Star Wars fans feel for Matthew. Matthew is the biggest Star Wars fan this side of the galaxy. 
He loves Star Wars. I was eight years old when I originally saw Star Wars A New Hope in 1977. I know what it's like to be an eight-year-old Star Wars fan. A lot of you listening to the show knows what it's like to be an eight-year-old Star Wars fan. And a lot of us grown adults still feel like an eight-year-old Star Wars fan when we get down and dirty with the wars. My wife would say that I'm still an eight-year-old Star Wars fan. (laughs) So here's the, the great news, though. And this comes from Faithful Forecast listener Mike Jasmine, who lets us know that there's going to be a fundraiser to help Matthew and his family. It's happening in Traverse City, Michigan, on December 16th at 1 p.m. at the Right Brain Brewery. Any donation gets you into the door for the event, and what's special about this is artists and fans have joined together to help raise money for Matthew's family. There'll be a silent auction of Star Wars items donated by local artists, including Lucasfilm-sponsored sketchbooks, T-shirts, and various other items. So if you're in the area, Traverse City, Michigan, head out to the Right Brain Brewery on December 16th and see if you can help make a difference in an 8-year-old Star Wars fan's life who needs your help. Attention, Slam of Christian. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Darth Vader. Leia. Chewie. Ahsoka Tano. Yoda. Uh, Yoda likes the name game. Yes. We all like the name game. Last week on the Force Cast, we started talking about Star Wars fans that name their kids after Star Wars characters. And I thought it'd be fun to just kind of go online and see where these names might rank on the baby rankers. Anybody who's had a, had a baby or known somebody who's had a baby knows that it's like it's one of the most stressful times of your life trying to figure out what you're going to name this human being. And they're gonna, who's going to carry this name for the rest of their lives. You know, no pressure. And, of course, uh, Star Wars fans use that as an opportunity to express their fandom and give their kids cool names. But we got an email from a Faithful Force cast listener about this segment from last week. This is from Thomas Cackler. And Thomas writes, hey, Forcecast, listening to the most recent episode of the cast and was amused about the discussion on baby names. My son is named Lucas. And despite my fandom, he is not named for uncle george despite my protests and ongoing reassurances to my wife no one believes me (laughs) well we're now looking to adopt a second son and ironically enough his working nickname is george no one will believe me that we are not adopting a george to go with our luke (laughs) i find it hard to believe myself thomas (laughs) um can you picture it at episode seven, George? Lucas. <laughs> Time for the movie to start. George! Lucas! Come in for dinner! They're like, look at this guy. He thinks George Lucas is here. Uh, may the force be with you. Wow. Um, well, uh, <laughs> I say go for it. Yeah, yeah. What can you What can you do at this point? I mean, I think it's meant to be. We know the force works in mysterious ways. Always in motion is the future. <laughs> and Very George funny. Lucas, it is. It's it's great. You got to go with it, man. You can't. You can't. Uh, you can't fight the. You can't fight the force. <laughs> You've come this far, yeah. So last week you had a, a website that 
would help you with baby names and tell you how popular they are. They they ranked all the names in the world apparently, mm-hmm. and uh, told you you know where on the list of popularity certain names fall. I think we had Lando at around three thousand something or another, but um, right. You know how do how do we go through an entire segment of the Star Wars name game? And I don't request for you to type in the name Kitster. How does that happen? How wow. Does that happen? How does that happen? So everyone wrote me and uh, let me know of my gaffe. So I'm hoping to make good on that this week. If you could, uh, w- what's the website again, Jason? It's, it's babycenter.com. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, see if I can get this pulled up here and see if we can do a search. For Kitster. There's this whole movement now starting, the Where's Kitster movement. This is so wizarding. Where's Kitster? How do you get so lucky? Kitster. Finish the race, of course. Do you know who Kitster is? No. That's all right. Where is Kitster? Where's Kitster? All right, looking up Kitster, I got bad news. Well, it depends on how you look at it. <laughs> Good news or bad news. The uh, The bad news is... That Kitster not even is not on even list, on the list. Not even on the there list. There is no Kitster. There's Kinzer. There's Kisten. Well, that was his sister. Kisten and Kitster. Uh, there's Kitten, Cutter, Mr. Ritter, Sister, Sister, Kaiser, Alistair. Kaiser. <laughs> Kaiser. <laughs> Boonster. Isn't that, wasn't that their name of the race? The Boonster Eve race? Um, <laughs> no yeah. Kidster. Fester and Fenster. <laughs> I, hear, I hear that sweeping the nation. Uh, works if you have a brother named Gomez. So, jeez. Uh, uh, so it's not there, Jim. It's not there. So I can go to all four corners of this planet and scream at the top of my lungs, Where's And I will hear silence. <laughs> well, unless there's some Forcecast fans in the in the audience, or if uh, what is his name Chichani, what's going on with him? Why is he avoiding us? He is avoiding us. He is avoiding us. People don't know this, but Jimmy Mac has made some very direct, <laughs> direct overtures to extremely uh, direct, extremely <laughs> direct. Yes, to no but avail. To, no response. No response. I can't. I can't correct this guy. So uh, again, all four corners of the globe. Where's Gitster? Silence. Yeah, so if you're Silence. keep if you're keeping score, uh, the market is wide open on Kitster and Palpatine. No rank. And that's that's this week's edition of the Name Game. Attention, Slam of Christian. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Darth Vader. Leia. Chewie. Ahsoka Tano. Yoda. This is Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian. It's time for the quote of the week. I am so excited. Brand new Billy D. quote of the week. Unleash it on us. 
Extremely fresh, extremely fresh. We're running a little short on time here, so we're going to make this quick. We could not let the weekly forecast go by without the Billy D quote of the week. We have an email from Ryan in Boston who says, Billy D made a surprise appearance on the season two finale episode of the Comedy Central show Key and Peel on November 28th. He popped up in a sketch about two-thirds of the way into the episode. The sketch involves the owner of a laundromat trying to pretend his business is a cool hangout. Of course, he's envying the barbershop across the street, which, as everyone knows, is the social hub of the hood. Everyone is at the barbershop. They're all having a great time. And suddenly, Billy D. Williams himself randomly appears, just pops up out of nowhere. Hey, oh, my God, it's Billy D. Williams. And so he... When Billy D shows up at the barbershop, he makes the place even cooler. So eventually, one of the characters over in the laundromat, he can't take it anymore, and he has to cross the street, and he awkwardly introduces himself to the coolest cat in the galaxy. Hey, welcome to the barbershop, young man. You're Billy D. Williams. Yeah, yeah. How you doing? I'm good. Thank All you right. so Could much. Could you do man. me a favor? Yeah. Could you let go of my hand? <laughs> <laughs> so Billy D's hanging out in the barbershop He's holding court Cracking up everyone as they're getting their Shave and cut and fade Or whatever they're doing over there And, uh, and uh, I just like how he says Welcome to the barbershop Hey, welcome to the barbershop, young man See, I'd have that if I owned a barbershop Every time the door opened, that's what they would hear Hey, welcome to the barbershop, young man <laughs> Yeah, and if a guy if a guy really needs a haircut, he'd say, How you doing, Chewbacca? <laughs> Billy D quarter of the week. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. Alrighty. Alrighty. Got all kinds of news here. Star Wars sequel news. No big confirmations, just more sp- Speculation, which is, let's be honest, that is part of the fun. Though, we do have some official news, or at least some official (sighs) comments, I guess we'll call it, from uh, George Lucas and Kathleen Kennedy with the latest edition of their interview hosted over at StarWars.com and uh, moderated by Lynn Hale. And this was, um, I think this is the fourth episode, and I got to say, there, I got more out of this one than I did the last one. The last one was about, uh, really, what was it, a lunch? <laughs> it's right. Well, we had salads, and then I said, what about Star Wars? <laughs> she had a little piece in her teeth, and I, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty um, mundane. But this one is um, interesting on a couple of notes. I mean, uh, you've got... George sort of breaking down Star Wars in a way that's really honest and laid back and um, Kathleen chimes in and in thinking about the future of Star Wars, Kathleen talks about the light and the dark. What is it about Star Wars that it's lasted for 35? That's not it. (laughs) That's the wrong one. Ah, here it is. The whole notion of dark and light and the idea that everybody recognizes the choices they make throughout their life can be influenced, even within themselves, to that degree, that I think that that's fascinating. I mean, we're used to seeing stories about heroes where it all ends up being great in the end. Well, that isn't necessarily life. And I think that, again, that's what 
George explored with the, the dark and light of aspirational well, ideas. It's is about it's, good and evil yeah. in, in us, uh, as well as our institutions. Mm-hmm. So, and the idea that some of us think we're really great people, but in the real world we're not. We're terrible people. Or you we can make only, bad choices. Well, you make uh, bad choices, but you run your life in a very selfish way, and you think you're doing good when you're actually not. Um, and at the same time, it's, a, it's, you know, how do democracies turn back into dictatorships? Why do, why do people who have the power to have the freedom and everything turn it over to somebody who's going to take it all away from them? It's happened through history forever and ever. And all, all Star Wars is, is a way of updating that idea to say, watch out because there are people out there who don't play by the rules. And if you're not careful, you're going to lose all your freedom. And at the same time, those people who may not play by the rules because they're selfish and greedy turn themselves into evil people who don't care about other people. There you go. The essence <laughs> of Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Playing out today. That's kind of a funny <laughs> bit of commentary from Lynn Hale. <laughs> I love seeing Lynn in these videos. She's pretty laid back. Oh, she's literally yeah. laid back. I yeah. mean, she's it, she's not in a recliner, but she's in a reclined position. <laughs> I mean, you practically got, has her feet uh, up on the table, you know. Right, right. But but, it, uh, but that's a, a really uh Really cool to hear George and Kathleen talk about that um, uh, light versus dark, and then you could you know you get into the whole idea of good versus evil, evil in mythology, especially when you think about the teachings of Joseph Campbell and the way he breaks it all down and says that you're participating in evil just by living, and what you have to do is a constant quest to hold on, hold on, we got to break down. We have some Skyper activity here. Skyper activity. Skyper activity. Just started. Like something's yeah. changed. No, nothing changed. Nothing changed. It could be this. You know, I clicked on a website. Maybe that's it. Some websites cause a little bit more. Um, just depends on how much has to load mm-hmm. on a website. Um, and. Uh, See if it clears up. That's all right. Listen, I'm no expert on Joseph Campbell. I shouldn't really even be talking about it. So, let me call you right back. Okay. See if that clears it up. Hold on. Jimmy, Jimmy, Bobimmy, Banana, Fana, Fofimmy. <laughs> Yo. Yeah. What's going on? It's still rough, huh? Yeah. Just it was like. Perfect. I mean, it yeah. was just perfect. Story of my life. Yeah, it's clearing up now. All right. Well, let's give it. A, let's give it another go. Okay. So pick it up wherever you would like. Well, you know, I started getting into Joseph Campbell, and I, you know, <laughs> thankfully you stopped me because I, I, I'm not qualified to talk about Campbell. I'm really not. Sure, you are. I, You're a Star Wars fan. I don't want to boil it all down, but okay. Um, where do we leave off? I don't know where I broke up. But, uh, okay, here. Let's just start after we just heard the clip. Okay. So, uh, re- you know, really cool to hear George and Kathleen talk about sort of a, uh, giving a breakdown about light versus dark. Um, good versus evil is a struggle that is something that's prominent in the teachings of Joseph Campbell and the power of myth. And as we know, George Lucas is one of, Joseph Campbell himself said, George Lucas was one of his finest students. 
Campbell was a mentor to Lucas. So if you ever get an opportunity to look up things about the power of myth and Joseph Campbell's lectures, I suggest you seek them out because by knowing more about Joseph Campbell, you sort of understand what lies beneath the surface of the Star Wars saga as presented by George Lucas. And I hope that the future authors of Star Wars films, stories, understand that power of myth. And they're not trying to lean on Star Wars as a template for creating more Star Wars, but they look deeper and and think more about what myth means and big things like good versus evil, light versus dark, the struggle we all have within ourselves to keep evil at bay. Because just by living life, according to Joseph Campbell, you're participating in evil. You have to keep all that at bay and learn what's good so you understand what's beyond light and dark. And so, Jason, what do you think of these these videos themselves it, it, as a service that Lucasfilm is providing for Star Wars fans? Where we're, we get these uh, these updates from George and Kathleen themselves. What to you is most valuable about these videos? I think that the purpose of these videos is to relieve some of the fans' fear about George exiting the Star Wars stage. I think that this is, in some ways, it's a handoff. In some ways, it's just reassurance that George is still very much an integral part, that he's going to, I think, still be somewhat of a figurehead. I think that's what it's about more than anything. I don't think this is really about big announcements. I don't think it's about anything real deep, although I did really enjoy the play-by-play there between uh, Kathleen and George, as you can almost get a sense that you know Kathleen is is quick to uh, reveal some of the things that she's learned from working with George, and George is quick to you know um, correct her there in a moment, or you know just add on to what she's thinking. I mean, George is still very much the master here, and Kathleen is still very much the apprentice. So um, I just thought that dynamic was cool. So I, I've I've really enjoyed these. What I enjoy is just how uh, open George seems. I mean, we talked about uh, Lynn Hale seeming really relaxed. I think George seems really relaxed. He's having fun. I think um, you get the sense that he is retired. I mean, that he's that there's a load off in a way. And I, there was this one little moment that was funny that I think it was, I think, the first question in this segment uh, or in this particular episode that Lynn Hale throws at George, which is she asks him about whether or not he knows why Star Wars has endured for the last 35 years. And I think George gives Lynn the answer he's always wanted to give for the last 25 years, probably. What is it about Star Wars that it's lasted for 35 years and it's just as strong as ever? Why did everybody ask that? <laughs> if anybody knew what the answer was, they'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, James Cameron. But... Uh, I, I pick on James Cameron because I always feel like he's chasing uh, with Avatar. He's trying to create a universe. He's trying to do something that George Lucas did very uh, organically. He's he's trying to get all the elements just right. And that's how that movie feels to me. Um, 
but uh, anyway, but so so it's it's funny that, that George finally I think gets to let his let his pompadour down and say <laughs> what he always wanted to say. So, uh, but no big reveals. I no. I know we speculated earlier, uh, Jim, that maybe the fifth and final could be the big reveal of the director. Uh, there are still a number of names that are still being bandied about. In fact, uh, comicbook.com has the five most likely directors still in play. Um, now, also, there was a story. I think I got it right here. Um, Alan Horn uh, talked to the folks over at Vulture. And um, I guess there was a there was a party earlier this week at a Beverly Hills hotel and uh, Alan Horn uh, actually was the host of the party. And um, he was talking about the Lucasfilm acquisition and how they managed to keep everything secret until the big press release went out. And he says, we threatened everybody with a blast from the Death Star. Um, <laughs> and you know what? When- <laughs> And when you when you it's just a movie. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're talking about Disney here. Uh and they do have that big building that's the shape of the Death Star. I mean, I've seen that thing. Looks like there could be some sort of uh uh laser attached. I don't know. He goes, uh oh, but God. really I think everybody was really mature about it. It's important to keep these things confidential so people just keep their mouth kept their mouths shut. Um They followed up and they said, well, how many people knew about episode seven? Not many, Horn said. It was a very small group, probably a smaller group than knew about the attack on bin Laden. So (laughs) Alan Horn. um, But when it comes to all of the rumors about uh, the various directors that will be helming the film, he says, uh, I would say you'll know soon. And it's got to come from Kathy Kennedy. We don't have the company yet. So that's an interesting thing. You know, there's not going to be this is not going to be a Disney announcement. The merger, the acquisition is not done yet. There's all kinds of legalese. We talked to Steve Sansweet weeks ago about this. Actually, Jason, uh, breaking news today, the feds did okay the deal. So it is 100 percent official. Well, I don't think it's official. I think that they have their I I think that they have their they passed whatever audits they need to uh, uh, in whatever inspections, but I, I don't think that that means that it's official. I think it also has to go through, uh, I would imagine, uh, board, stockholders, approval oh, on that I level. See. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the feds have, uh, you're, you're right, um, the feds have, have given uh, permission for the, uh, for the sale to go through. So now it just comes down to, I guess, paperwork. Oh, sure. Sure. I don't think, I mean, I don't know that anybody was really concerned whether or not this was going to happen. Um, but uh, that might be the trigger. That could be part of why we haven't heard. Um, or it could be that they're legitimately still still looking into it and still meeting with, with different people. He says, uh, we take very seriously the obligation to make a very good movie. Kathy is a very experienced producer. George Lucas is the godfather of the franchise and very, very involved on a consulting basis. So we feel very confident. There's a, there's a lot of varies in there. So it's just a formality at this point because the uh, U.S. Federal Trade Commission reviews mergers and acquisitions to make sure that there's no violations of any antitrust law. So apparently 
this deal between Lucasfilm and Disney has uh, at least passed that test. So, again, it's just now down to formalities. You know, there's, this is kind of funny here. Again, this is uh, Vulture. I think it's Vulture Beat uh, is the actual uh, uh, website. But um, the writer, Kyle Buchanan, wraps up the story with, now that Disney owns Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar, and Hasbro... There's nothing left for any other studio. Um, now, he's apparently saying this to Alan Horn. And Alan Horn replies to this saying, that's our plan, and laughs. Which, that's very interesting. Because we've had no confirmation that Disney had acquired or is confirmed that they're interested in acquiring Hasbro. So I don't know if this is a typo or what this is, but according to this story, this was brought up to Alan Horn, or at least Hasbro was referenced in the laundry list of acquisitions, recent acquisitions, and um, Horn laughed and said, that's our plan. So he didn't correct Mr. Buchanan. So... But if you're keeping, it doesn't, say, it doesn't say what kind of laugh it was. Was it a like a, <laughs> or was it a, like a? <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it was some sort of maniacal supervillain laugh, mm-hmm. you know, followed by a lengthy monologue. Um, well, let's talk about the uh, the five most likely directors still in the running. We have John Favreau. We have Matthew Vaughn. Yep. That's Jimmy's pick. We've got David Fincher. He was uh, actually he was an assistant cameraman on Return of the Jedi. We've talked about him here before. And we worked with Kathleen Kennedy on uh, Benjamin Button. Right. That's right. Yes. Good, good, good memory. Uh, Joss Whedon. A name. There's, there's a lot of fanboy support for Joss Whedon. Of there's course. a lot of love out there in the, in the genre, franchise, fandom world. Um, a Guillermo del Toro still uh, still in the running. So, Joss Whedon, Guillermo, de, um, Guillermo, I think it's the it's Guillermo, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, David Fincher, Matthew Vaughn, and John Favreau. Jimmy Mack, your money's still on Matthew Vaughn. I'm going to go on record. I'm going on record. I'm going to say, just to be a contrarian, I'm going with Favreau. Good for you. Good for you. I'm going My with top Favreau. three as it shakes out this week is Vaughn, Favreau, Fincher. Vaughn. I have no opinion on Fincher. I don't know who he is. I don't either. <laughs> but you like the name, right? <laughs> well, you know, just uh, just by looking at the rumors that are out there and sort of, you know, seeing how they stack up against one another and knowing that Fincher worked with Kennedy on uh, Benjamin Button. And like you said, Jason, he does have. A little bit of Star Wars pedigree, considering he worked on Return of the Jedi. It seems like some people consider him to be a favorite, or at least somebody they'd like to see take the role. Hey, check this out. This is interesting. This is some uh, breaking news today as we re- uh, record the, the Force cast. This is from New York Times. Walt Disney Studios announced Tuesday that it had completed a deal to show films from its Disney, Pixar, and Marvel banners on Netflix, replacing a less lucrative pact with stars. So if you're a Netflix instant subscriber, 
you know, that up until about six months or so ago that you would get some Disney films by way of stars. Well, the stars and Netflix uh, partnership dissolved. So there's been less and less Disney material available on the streaming service. Now, this agreement is the first time one of Hollywood's big studios has chosen web streaming over pay TV. Netflix has made similar output deals with smaller uh, movies, players, DreamWorks Animation, Weinstein Company. But all the big ones have stayed with Stars, HBO, or Showtime. But here's where it gets interesting. Financial terms were not disclosed, but analysts estimated that the deal could be worth about $300 million annually for Disney. The deal does not include films from DreamWorks Studios, which has a theatrical distribution arrangement with Disney, but relies on Showtime as a pay TV partner. Nevertheless, the deal will include movies from Lucasfilm, which Disney is acquiring. So we've wondered, where is... This is like when the Beatles finally came on iTunes. Where is Star Wars? Where's Caravan of Courage? Where's Droids and Ewoks? Where is this stuff? Why can't we see this online? Why can't we see this streaming? Why isn't it on Netflix? seems crazy, Jimmy Mac, that you can't get the Star Wars films from Netflix. It does. It does. Uh, there's, you know, there's just a lot of junk that's streaming on Netflix. To me, I mean, when I turn on Netflix, I see a bunch of B-movies that I never wanted to watch in the first place. So, You know, it's funny you say it because my brother feels the same way, and I don't see that at all. I see a ton of value on, on Netflix, but I look at it more as a way to consume uh, episodic television. So I've, I've uh, relived and lived for the first time a lot of TV shows uh, by way of Netflix. Also, it's really great for parents out there with young kids because there is a ton of of kids programming on there. So, but I can, but I can see if you're looking, see my brother thought that he was just going to get this app installed and he was going to boom, have all the latest new releases. You know, he doesn't have to go to the video store anymore and that's never going to happen. At least it's not going to happen anytime soon. It's definitely a catalog kind of service. Now there are some exceptions and what's interesting about the exceptions, Jim, is that there's some of the Marvel titles, Captain America, uh, Thor is out there. I know that when uh, the Avengers finally gets past its window, uh, its sell-through window in the stores, that it's also going to uh, be showing up on Netflix Instant. So I have really high hopes for this. I think that there's going to be a lot of hay made out of this. It's going to be like when the entire Star Trek catalog is released onto Netflix. I think we're going to see a big chunk of the Lucasfilm uh, uh, film catalog and perhaps some of the animation and other things. Maybe we're going to see Clone Wars available finally on Netflix streaming. I think it's going to be a whole dump of catalog titles from Lucasfilm. It's very, very exciting, I think. And interestingly enough, we talked about the distribution rights for the films, right? Right. right would it right. fall under the D Disney banner or would 20th Century Fox? I think a deal has already been made, and I think it's going to fall under Disney. I don't of course. think we're going to see any more home video releases under the 20th Century Fox. Right. They're not spending $4 billion to have someone else distribute their home video. However, you bring up the droids, cartoons, and stuff of that ilk. Uh, I don't know if that would actually be a priority for Disney to stream that stuff. Because I don't see Disney looking back so much as they're going to be looking forward. Yeah, but they, 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 they want content, right? They want content. And the thing is, if you, if you get, and I didn't mention this in the story, um, the agreement does not start, uh, this is sort of 
Talk about burying the lead. I kind of buried the lead here. The agreement doesn't start until 2015. However, excuse me, I believe it's 2016. Yeah, it'll start in late 2016, but we'll start to see some of the earlier catalog titles show up before that as early as 2015. Well, I would hope um, so. My goodness, they're they're announcing a deal has been done, and we're not going to see the fruits of some well, deal the, the, for another the, four yeah, years. Yeah, the reason behind that is that um, the way these contracts shake out is that you know, so they had an agreement with Stars, and let's say it was five years, they start negotiating the third year of that five year agreement with others. So they still have another couple of years. Um, to honor, but there's so much money involved. They said $300 million a year this deal is worth. Um, and, and because of that, I think that it's got to be, it's got to be more than the big Disney catalog titles. I think that, um, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as Jim to say it's a priority. I agree with you there, but I think in terms of just scope and scale, I think they're really going to want to blow it out and um, make a lot of this stuff available that fans have been clamoring for. I think it's about demand. There's no limit to the demand for Star Wars product, particularly uh, on the home video market. And uh, so how great to be able to see the complete series, the complete series of Ewoks and droids and um, uh, who knows what's it going to be. I'm really, you know what? I tell you what, one of the things that I was thinking about with this whole Disney deal is we might actually see a release of Muppet Babies. How about that? Muppet Babies, which has been held up for years, can't be released on home video because of the uh, a lot of the clips from uh, major motion pictures, namely a lot of Star Wars stuff. So now that you got the Muppets under the Disney banner, you got Star Wars under the Disney banner. All right. I guess that's not as exciting to you, but it's exciting to me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. It's because I've never seen a single episode of Muppet Babies in my life that was definitely way beyond my little toddler years. Uh, I had toddler probably, years? Yeah, I was probably in high school by the time Muppet Babies was on the air. But I do know something about the show in the fact that they did a Star Wars episode, and that's something yes, I've did. always wanted to see. You've never seen that? No. Oh, you know, the beauty of that was that it was right there at the beginning of the dark times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was too young to realize that we were heading into a dark times period. Uh, but it was great because uh, the, the, the premise of the episode was that their TV goes out in the in the nursery. And so they have to act out their own TV. And so they get this big box and they cut out one of the sides of it. And then they go inside the box and they entertain for each other. And one of the things that they do is they recreate star Wars. It's so cool. And they actually have um, interspersed with throughout the episode clips from the actual movie. So got to check that out. It's available on, uh, on YouTube. You can check it out. I can see it on YouTube. You know what? As soon as we're done with this show, I am going to finally, (laughs) <laughs> watch that <laughs> and it's funny you, you bring up their tv broke so they started doing star wars they started discussing and acting out star wars much like the family guy when their tv goes out that's right hey you want to hear about star wars <laughs> you know that's it's very it's a very similar small world we live in here when it comes to animated tributes to a galaxy far far away now we've heard a lot about uh, john favreau and and other potential director candidates really lobbying 
lobbying for for the gig and why not why wouldn't you this is once in a lifetime i mean these are big players in hollywood and they're in they're they're begging begging to be at the helm because in a lot of ways this brings their careers full circle it's it's what got them into the business it's what made them want to be filmmakers well Corey feldman is no exception ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Corey feldman you know him as Frog, perhaps, from, from, from the Lost Boys franchise. Oh, and I do, I do, use, I do use the term franchise loosely. It's really one movie, one movie worth watching, but uh, Corey has made some, some others with his uh, uh, departed uh, late uh, Corey Haim, the other Corey. And I have a real soft spot for Corey Feldman. Um, because of his role as Mouth in The Goonies, which is Goonies. one of the films that defined my childhood. And um, but anyway, apparently I'm a he's a fan of. I'm a huge fan of his long history of uh, just accelerated meltdowns. At well, you know, he, reality <laughs> TV and beyond. He was really a train wreck. Star before that was before Charlie Sheen and Lindsay Lohan before it was cool to be a total train wreck. If Corey, who I think uh, to his credit, I think has really cleaned up. I think he's, uh, I I believe he's a he's a husband and a dad. And um, but you know he went through a real wild phase, and uh, I think if he would have gone through that phase now, he would be uh, much more famous. And much more popular because that is somehow uh, that's the thing to do. That's right. the thing to do, be a total train wreck. You, his his celebrity was on top of the world there back in the uh, 80s. You know, he was palling around with Michael Jackson and uh, yeah. hanging out with various A-listers. Well, sure. He was um, in standby. He's great in standby. Me, another fabulous film. Um, from the eighties, he was great in that. Uh, of course, wonderful in 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 Goonies. Um, uh, there was another movie that was kind of a sleeper. Um, say or not say anything. Um, oh, what was the name of it? He did it with Haim. Um, License a, to Drive. No, no, it's a great. No, those. It's a great song title. Uh, oh, it's killing me. It's killing me. Cocaine. <laughs> Well, no, that's a, that's no a, it's a it's a great standard tune. Um, Dean Martin did it famously. Oh, oh, can't think of it. Anyway, Corey is lobbying for a role, and not just any role. He wants to play Han Solo's son. And you know, before you go all like I did, like, oh, it's ridiculous. What the heck is he thinking? I'm looking at the picture of him, at least on this uh, this story here. And uh, I don't have the source right in front of me, but I'm looking at this photo of Corey Feldman. I'm like, well, aside from the nose ring, which is a big hoop running through that little chunk of nose in the middle, whatever you call it, around the nostrils, he could be, Jim, he could be. A, a an offspring of Han Solo, he really could, and he's about the right age to be Harrison Ford's son. So I, I don't know how, how how crazy this is. Also, by the way, making headlines: Robert Pattinson, uh, Edward, for you Twilight fans out there, really wants uh, a, a part in the film, but he's not going as far as as Corey Feldman. Um, now Feldman admits that part of his 
desire to do this is that he has he believes he has a resemblance to actor Harrison Ford, which I, I agree with. I think it's it's absolutely true. Um, dream a little dream. That's the name of the movie. Dream a little dream. Sorry. Thank God. Thank God we got to the bottom of that. <laughs> he says, he says um, I think it's a great idea. No one knows what they have in mind yet or what they have in store for us, but I would like to see in the development of those next three movies is they bring back all of the original characters as they're all still alive. And you can make them. This is Corey Feldman talking because I don't think he's read that this is actually what's going to happen. And you can make them the older generation. Then whether it's their kids or a bunch of new young soldiers or Jedis or warriors, whatever it is, I would certainly like to be a part of that new young brigade that they're going to bring forward. Isn't Corey Feldman like 50 years old? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I look at him as like this young, up and, you know, young buck, you know, Shia LaBeouf. He's not, okay? Well, um, compared to Harrison Ford. Well, tr- <laughs> true. You know, true. Um, because quite honestly, I'm old, you know, I'm, I'm 43. I could be Harrison Ford's son. Yeah, Harrison's but- 70. Like well, right, well, right, right, right. But I mean, you know, if he's talking about, you know, passing the torch down to a new generation, I mean, you know, he's not Chris Pine, right? Um, the new Kirk. Uh, he's a middle aged dude. Oh, he's older think, than he's he's older now than Mark Hamill was when he was playing the young. Oh God, yes, the young. God, yes. Um, and you think ideally they'd like to go with some actors maybe in their twenties? That's what I'm thinking. That's 40s. what I'm thinking. But God the, bless you, Corey. God bless you. Um, he says that um, fans have always said that I would make a great Indiana Jones, a great young Indiana Jones. Again, Corey, you're probably older now than Harrison Ford was when he played Indiana Jones the first time. But as you point out, Jim, Harrison Ford uh, played him recently. But he says, we look very similar. We have the same type of vibrato, the the same character persona, you know, with the whole Edgar Frog thing. Uh, it's a good. I would like to see Harrison Ford play Edgar Frog's father, and a, and, a, and an upcoming direct to DVD sequel to Lost Boys. How about that? How about that? Uh, why why direct to DVD? Well, that's well, that's well, that's so low. Well, because <laughs> that's where all of the 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 like the, the sequels have been direct to DVD. Did you know that there are sequels to Goonies? No, to no to Lost Boys. No. Yeah, there's there's three sequels. And they're direct to DVD. Kiefer Sutherland in those? No. He's no. got 24 money now. But, but, Jim, you talked about B-movies being on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Those sequels to Lost Boys are available on Netflix streaming. <laughs> well, of course they are. So, <laughs> um, so he... he does not think that this is a stretch. He says, I do believe that belief is the most powerful thing we have in this world. So if we believe in something enough, we have faith, we can make it a reality. That's basically the basis of my entire career and my entire life. I'm going to really send a lot. (laughs) I tried. I'm sorry. Why are you laughing? I'm sorry. I'm (laughs) I'm sorry. All right. He's being deep here. He is, right? (laughs) I am. Going to really send a lot of positive energy to hear um what? <laughs> he kind of trails off. Oh. Okay. Uh sorry. This uh this got chopped off here. I'm gonna let's just leave it at uh I'm going to really send a lot of positive energy out there. So 
Well, no, um, you say I'm going to send a lot of positive vibes through the force. You know, you got to embrace right. the role. You, you got to show them that you're living and breathing this stuff. You can't just go off on some vague rant about positivity and then trailing off. And then the next thing you know, you're on the front cover of uh, National Enquirer for wrapping your car around a pole. <laughs> well, I don't. Know. You know what? Here's he, he did. I'm not saying he did, but right. the guy's career. He's, he's been in National Enquirer enough for me to to wrap my house with all the articles. He's right. done. That's true. And you know what? If, in case you're wondering about Corey's, um, you know his take on the pulse of the Star Wars community. He he did finish up with one comment. He says, um, "I'll tell you who doesn't want to be part of the cast, and I can pretty much guarantee that." Anthony Daniels, he doesn't want a part in it. I'm 90 years old now. I don't want to walk around in a robot suit anymore. I'm done with that, saith Corey. Corey said that? This is, this is what Corey said. Is our buddy uh, Chris Bartlett paying him off to say these things in public so he can eventually take the role of, th- of C-3PO? First of all, I'm guessing that Anthony Daniels, at his age now, could probably run laps around Corey Feldman <laughs> as far as you know their physical shape. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Oh, if only we could, if we had the power to pull off like some sort of boxing match between the two, <laughs> between the two of them. <laughs> In one quarter. <laughs> Celebrity boxing. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so I just feel that Corey is, um, I'm sure he's a fan. I'm sure he has fond memories of the films. Um, but at the same time, his comments there about Anthony Daniels tells me that he's really not kept up with things. Because if he had, he'd know that you will take the role of C-3PO out of his cold, metalized hand. Dead hand. Whatever. Whatever comes first. <laughs> and uh, but Bill, even if his his arm is lying on the side of a Tatooine dune following <laughs> an attack by the sand people, he'll still maintain that tight grasp on the role. He will indeed. All right. So um, let's just kind of go through some of the the uh, the news for this week. All right. Real um, quick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, let's see. Anything that we might have missed? Of course, we talked last week about Jason Fleming at the premiere of Seven Psychopaths and what he said, which uh, kind of lends more credence to what Matthew Vaughn has said. So far this week, there's been no denials coming out of any of the camps. Mum's the word from Matthew Vaughn. Uh, and of course, no more talking from Jason Fleming. And uh, certainly as in light of uh, Horn's latest comments that they're not, they're not saying anyway. So um, Favreau, Fincher, certainly... Uh, two that are still very much in the running. Um, and uh, now this is this is something that I wasn't aware of. I guess TMZ, now they're really out. I mean, but aside from the Force cast, no one is doing a better job at lining up news about Star Wars sequels <laughs> than TMZ. They are on the case. They don't realize that they're breaking news. Apparently, they ran into Ewan McGregor and asked him if he would be interested in coming back to Star Wars. And uh, here's what Ewan had to say. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not from TMZ. What? No, 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 no. This is not from TMZ. What are we looking at here? This is from uh, Digital Spy. 
This is actually during a media junket. This isn't your typical TMZ. Okay, well, TMZ also caught up with him <laughs> and uh, said that um, he, um, he'd be up to returning. Now, you, you, have, you have another source, Jim. This is from Digital Spy. Yeah, Digital Spy. They uh, were attending a media junket for the new film The Impossible, which is starring Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. And they asked him if he would consider returning to Star Wars. Would you be at all open to reappearing in Star Wars? Oh, I guess, yeah, of mm. course. I mean, if they need me, yeah, I'd be happy. Yeah, well, I guess it could be a ghost. It's, they've done it for us. Well, it would be, a, yeah, maybe. Or maybe he comes back, I don't know. I Who guess, knows? Yeah. Well, I don't yeah, know. I, I know. I know nothing about it other it than what I've read on um, on the internet. But I, I believe they, they've they've Lucas sold his whole Lucas film to Disney, and they've announced that they're going to make the the last three Star Wars films. Wow! And Lucas isn't going to be involved, I don't think. Well, he, I bet you oh, he well. will be. They're his stories. I bet you. That, I bet you he'll be involved somewhere. Another hand somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, Naomi Watts. She had no clue that the sale had gone down and that the announcement had been made about new Star Wars films. Yeah. You know, she's living life out there in the set, you know, going back and forth to her trailer. She doesn't Probably know. She's surrounded doesn't. by an entourage that protect her from any and every piece of news that <laughs> comes up. Right. But uh, you really know what's great focus. about this, too, is yeah. not only is Ewan not saying, well, no, really, I did that when I was younger and I've had my time in Star Wars. Ewan is becoming comfortable with his legacy in the Star Wars franchise and with the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is a character he was thrilled to play from day one. Sure. Who wouldn't? And, and I love, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, time makes a big difference, but you know, yeah, you and we, we've, we've had the clips. We've, we've read the quotes. You and has had said some sort of un, unflattering things at times about star wars but at the same time he's never been one to show i think a lack of enthusiasm for what he did and what he accomplished with that role and sort of the 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 dream come true uh for him at playing obi-wan kenobi and um i would imagine that for a lot of these folks, whether it be original trilogy or prequel trilogy, it doesn't matter. Nostalgia is a really powerful emotion. And I think that as people look back on their careers and, you know, they tend to just focus on the good times. And, um, you know, I know that there were a lot of struggles there on the set with some of the actors and, and, and dealing with the, you know, the digital stage and the green screen and the blue screen and all that. But when you see that footage of you and on the set and you hear you and being talked about by guys like um, uh, Nick Gillard. Thank mm-hmm. you. When you hear you and being talked about by guys like Nick Gillard, you realize what a pro he was, and he was not one prone to complain. He wasn't one prone to whine. Uh, he'd get knocked down and he'd jump right back up again. So a consummate pro. And I think that, as you say, Jim, I think the legacy is settling in well with him. And uh, I, for one, would not like to see anybody in the cloak is Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, now that we've lost the great Alec Guinness uh, other than Ewan McGregor. Well, and I'll tell you what, he's looking good, too. He has his hair styled and his beard trimmed. Looks like he just stepped off the Revenge of the Sith set. And keep in mind, the bulk, the, the principal photography for Revenge of the Sith happened in 2003. 
you know, that's almost 10 years ago with additional pickups going on 2004 and 5. But Ewan hasn't played the role in uh, almost 10 years. And when you see this video at digitalspy.com, he's really sporting the Obi-Wan Kenobi look and still looking really good, too. So I would, I'd love to see it now. He, uh, Ewan's not the only one of the uh, Star Wars veterans coming out saying that they would like to uh, dip their toe back into the GFFA. Makeup legend Rick Baker says he's up for a return. He, was, he chatted to Heat Vision and said, uh, quote, so much of the stuff I did in the first Star Wars was very quickly done. Nobody knew that it was going to be Star Wars. I think the problem that people have with the digital stuff is the same problem I have. Just because you can do anything doesn't mean you should. Instead of having a spaceship battle with three spaceships, they have 3,000 spaceships. Everything is so big and there's so much going on that you lose reality. It takes you out of it. Uh One of Jimmy's favorite phrases. Takes you out of it. It takes Rick Baker, makeup legend, out of the story. Uh, Harrison Ford said the same thing, Jim. We had a quote from him some time back on the Force Cast that he's talking about these these epic films and how you know instead of having you know uh, fifty sixty guys in a in a in an army, you've got five thousand six thousand guys, and he says you lose the scale, and all of a sudden it looks fake. Even if it looks real, it looks fake because you just you know that that can't possibly be anything, but uh, but CG. So, but still. You know, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about the actors and, and, and a guy like Nick Gillard coming back to the films. But uh, Rick Baker, not someone that I thought about as coming back. Well, no, because really, when you think about it, his legacy is so strong and vibrant because he created a lot of those memorable cantina aliens from Star Wars A New Hope. But essentially, that's the only thing he's really worked on in Star Wars. He wasn't active in any of the other films. They just brought him in to punch up that cantina scene. They shot pretend. Pre- can't even speak anymore. Um, they they shot the the principal photography in London, and when they got back, it just didn't look exotic enough. So they called Rick, who had been establishing himself as one of the top makeup and um, uh, monster ca- uh, creators in Hollywood at that time. They called him up. And he literally pulled masks off his shelf that were in his shop from older projects or shelved projects or just ideas he was working on. And he just pulled them all right off the shelf. And that's what made up some of those most memorable characters that you see milling about the cantina. That all came from Rick Baker's shop. Most notably, the cantina band themselves came from Rick Baker's shop. There's been a rumor. I can't confirm it. Because I, I think I've heard it denied, and I think I've heard it confirmed in the pack, past that Rick Baker himself actually played one of those cantina aliens. A lot of people were out at a Star Wars Celebration in Orlando, and there was a great panel about the cantina that my brother Billy Mac attended. So if anyone can uh, confirm that, was Rick Baker actually in figuring Dan's band? Hmm. Let us know, forecast at forcecast.net. Maybe we'll send you something. No, I'm sorry. I was I meant to hit the theme, and then all of a sudden, you know how I have this software, and I haven't registered it because I haven't bought it, mm-hmm. and it always pops. There's this little blocker. It always happens at like the worst time. But right. so anyway, hitting we'll the theme. Burn burn through the pl- the plugs real quick. Um, and and if you want to, you know, go ahead and play the disclaimer. I don't give a damn. I'm not going to play the disclaimer. <laughs> not anymore. 
All right, here we go. I think it's time. Oh, see that? That's ah, they really Big want from me last to, week. I know they really want me to buy this software because now every one of these quotes is going to snow crash. That is so effed up. That is so weird. I have to reload this clip every week. It's so dumb. And that's just a new phenomenon. I'm going to have to I'll download the update. Hopefully that'll take care of it. Buy the software and send Philip the bill. Rick McCallum now taking up residence in Prague. That was the last little bit of news. Closing the book on Rick's career there at Lucasfilm. And, uh, you know, Jim, I've seen a lot of commentary about Rick McCallum and what's his legacy when it comes to Star Wars. And I, for one, think he has a great legacy because he was such a wonderful spokesperson and ambassador for what was going on with Lucasfilm from the mid-90s all the way through to just a year or so ago when he was still holding on to hope about that Star Wars live-action series, keeping the flame alive. Rick McCallum was there. He was the guy answering those questions in Star Wars Insider, giving us these little tidbits, little things to hang our hopes on about the Star Wars prequels. And I'm always going to look very fondly upon... Lucasfilm's time with Rick McCallum as a fan. So I wish him nothing but the best. Well, he was a visionary, and he shared George's vision about moving cinema into a digital age, into the digital realm. And he's someone who really pushed forward a lot of the film technologies that we now take for granted. He was someone that George Lucas trusted and someone that could work well with George and propel the Star Wars saga forward. So, uh, yes, Rick McCallum finally getting an official send-off with a great article up at StarWars.com. Talking about Rick and what's in store for him in the future, it sounds like independent films is the area Rick's going to be moving into. Uh, Much like George, he might be making films that no one wants to see, as George has always threatened he would do. (laughs) But uh, definitely his legacy will be forever appreciated by Star Wars fans and us here at the Forcecast. And speaking of the Forcecast, don't forget you can listen live just about each and every week at the greater Chicago area on the AM dial at WCKG 1530 AM. It's on Sundays at 1 p.m. Central. Outside, you can listen to this exclusive version of the Forcecast at WCKG online at WCKG1530.com or on their app. They have a live stream. You can check it out again Sundays at 1. Don't forget about Smuggler's Gambit. Do check it out. StarWars.com on the official blog right now. Please download it, stream it, send it to your friends. You won't regret it. Big thanks to everybody at Mark Echo and ShopEcho.com. And congratulations to our winners. Be contacted very shortly. Thanks for playing along. And don't forget about... Our contest for the Stand Up to Cancer Star Wars Angry Bird t-shirts. Remember to get your Twitter on 
smash cancer with at SU2C. That's stand up to cancer, pound Star Wars Angry Birds, and at Forcecast. All entries must be tweeted by noon central Tuesday, December 11th. Email address if you'd like to uh, reach us, forcecast at forcecast.net, Jimmy Mack at forcecast.net, or Jason at forcecast.net. The voicemail line if you wish to leave us same, 330-754-05-FC. Check us out on Twitter ourselves, at forcecast, at Jimmy Mack Radio, at Jason Swank. Our Facebook page, great place to have a conversation with other Star Wars fans about this stuff talked about here on the Forcecast and elsewhere. Star Wars Episode 7 news, all kinds of stuff there at facebook.com slash Forcecast. We have our own smartphone app available for iOS and Android devices in their respective app stores. The place to get it for Android is the Amazon Marketplace for Android. Our Flickr photo page, flickr.com slash group slash Forcecast, and our official website, your home, your source, your guiding light for all things and everything Forcecast, Forcecast.net. Don't forget about Jimmy Mac's other podcast with his lovely wife, Wendy. They talk about family life in the McInerney household. SnyderMarksRadio.net. That's where you go to get it. Anything special this week, Jim? Um, You know, we are running a little bit behind in our show releases. So I don't know uh, what the next show is going to be. But I'm sure we will do our best to make it good. I'm sure you will. So now is the time to check out the archives there at SnyderMarksRadio.net. There's a recent episode where Jimmy tells a fabulous story about tattoo <laughs> from the man with the golden gun Hervé Villachez the late Hervé Villachez you gotta check that out speaking of tattoo don't forget about Bondcast pilot episode is out now you can listen to it by searching for Bondcast on iTunes or follow facebook.com slash Bondcast you can also get a direct link to the Bondcast RSS feed knickknack not in this episode. Not in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you next week here on the Forcecast. Love you so much. For the Forcecast, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember. Force will be with you. Always. Good job, young man.